welcome to the Book of Mormon Evidence Podcast with host Rod Meldrum. This week's Come Follow Me supplemental study is Lesson 43, Mormon 7-9 through 9. I speak unto you as if ye were present. Rod has a special guest today, a friend for many years, who has been very instrumental in many little miracles, including helping set up the situation where President Nielsen could visit the Pope. In his own words, Joseph Smith has been a hero to me since I was a young boy and doing missionary work, and it's one of the real joys of my life. Since I had the blessing of meeting Rod Meldrum about seven years ago, it has been a great blessing in my life. I love giving people the annotated Book of Mormon and the Book of Mormon in America's Heartland so that people can learn that Joseph Smith taught that the Jaredites, Nephites, and Mulekites were brought here to the United States of America. Using this correct information about the Book of Mormon makes doing member missionary work fun and successful. Welcome, Ridge Hartley. Welcome, everybody, to our next podcast. I am so excited about this but this particular podcast. I have my dear friend Ridge Hartley with me. Uh, we're going to be talking about, this is uh, number 43. This is actually, uh, the lesson is from about Mormon chapters 7, 8, and 9. And I speak unto you as if you were present. I love this chapter. Uh, that, that's chapter 8. And uh, we're going to have some really good discussion here uh, in regard to these three chapters of the Book of Mormon. I've, I've been actually kind of waiting for a long time for the opportunity to have a, a chance to, uh, to interview Ridge. And, uh, and I'm telling you, I, 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 you have some really interesting stories to tell that, that involve even uh, the, 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 the Rome Temple and uh, the president of the church, President Nelson, meeting with the Pope and so forth. And uh, to a large extent, you, my friend, are responsible for some of that. And we're going to, we're going to tell you more about that here in just a minute. But, but um, so to start off here though, for just a second, Ridge, should we tell the story of, uh, of how we met? That'd be awesome. <laughs> uh, okay, great blessing. Well, you go ahead and, and you go ahead and and, and do that then. So, <laughs> okay. uh, about seven years ago, my business partner uh, Pat Hanley, we were having a lot of good discussions uh, about the church. I was doing some member missionary work with my partner, and he happened to see the DVD about the no DNA evidence on the Book of Mormon based off. Mexico, South Central America, Mm -hmm. and so he challenged me on that. Back then, I was under the assumption that the Book of Mormon Geography was Mesoamerica, and so I told my partner, I don't know why they didn't find DNA evidence down there. I said, you know, spiritually, I can only tell you, you know, through the Holy Ghost, that I know that the Book of Mormon is true. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, I was so uh, blessed to have the opportunity through my partner his oldest son had a good friend up in Tremont, Utah, and I was up talking to his uncle on some financial planning investment information, and we get talking about the Book of Mormon, and he says, I got a book for you to read. He gives me uh, one of Rod's books, uh, Promises, Prophecies, and um, one Sunday when I read that, I wanted to know uh, for a long time these great prophets from uh, Lehi, Nephi, and Moromoroni, I wanted to know what nation they were brought to. And one Sunday when I read that, which is the 36 prophetic scriptures out of the Book of Mormon by the great prophets in the Book of Mormon, and after I read that, the Holy Ghost, in answer to my prayer, bore the strongest witness to me, it is the United States of America, where the Lord brought the Jaredites, Nephites, Mulekites. I got so excited to <laughs> receive that witness, and I learned that Rod had his, uh, one of his other books, the Book of Mormon, America's Heartland, that has a Jaredite barrel mound on the cover. And through reading that, I learned that the DNA evidence is here in North America, 
I learned for the first time that the Prophet Joseph clearly taught the Book of Mormon geography is the United States of America uh, through the Zelf account and through the Wentworth letter and other things that I had never seen before. Uh, I got so excited when I learned Joseph Smith taught it's North America. Here's where the DNA evidence is, the majority of all the archaeological evidence. And I'm like, yes, I have answers for my partner. So our office used to be downtown Salt Lake. I walked over to the City Creek Desert Bookstore, bought three of Rod's books. So you can see that you can kind of see that right here, actually. Yes, and because I was That's what excited it like, yeah. to give one to my partner because I had answers for him about the DNA. It's here in the United States where the DNA evidence is found, not down in Mesoamerica. And so one of the the books had an insert sticking out saying this information is false, and I'm like. Wow. Mm. <laughs> so Rod. It's like on the inside cover, wasn't it? Yeah, it was just sticking out. Uh, so here's, saying, here's the book here. So just yeah. show where, where so it was. It was, you know, just sticking out of uh, one of the pages saying this information <laughs> is false, not credible. So thank goodness Rod had his phone number back of his book. So I cold called Rod and I said, Rod, my name is Ridge Hartley. Someone's trying to, I said, I love your books, uh, but someone's trying to discredit your research. And so he had me come down, met with them, and they, uh, yeah. through doing an internet search, Go ahead, no, I, I, I got to tell you though, because this is kind of it. Kind of turned out to be kind of a funny thing because uh, somebody came down. We actually know now who it was <laughs> because they left the, the the exact same thing that they had in the book here. Um, they they left it on, on online on a couple of uh, um, reviews of the book and so forth. So we found out who it was. But <clears throat> but bottom line is that I am so grateful. That they that, that this guy decided to take it upon himself to go down and put this this nasty note in in several books and and, and actually he went to several stores actually of the Deseret book as well and they had the like, adhesive backing actually sticking them on the back inside cover of the of the books and I'm so grateful that he did that because otherwise I am too I'd have never met you well probably no I don't and think I think it was meant to be I know it was meant to be <laughs> so see sometimes sometimes when bad things happen it actually can be a really good thing. Yes, Sometimes it's the Lord actually things things like they're like they're falling apart. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's actually the Lord making things fall together. I agree, hundred percent on that. And you've been such a blessing in my life ever since then. Been one of the so keep going. greatest blessings in my life. Uh, I've always loved doing missionary work, and through Rod's uh, books and you know Wayne Mays, Jonathan Nevels, and the other inspired members who've been involved with doing the uh, Heartland research. To, They've done a great job to, in bringing to light what the Prophet Joseph and the Prophets have taught uh, on the, the Book of Mormon um, and the, our covenant nation where the Lord brought the yeah. Jaredites, Nephites, and Mulekites. And it's helped me become a successful member missionary. I feel like I'm on a, a full-time mission <laughs> to share the, the wonderful truths that what the Prophet Joseph and the Prophets have taught uh, and great people uh, once they learn, they get the blessing opportunity to read the, the record of our covenant nation here in the United States. They're very interested in uh, reading the Book of Mormon and applying uh, Moroni's promise. So, Rod, you're a true miracle in my life, and uh, thank you so wow. much. Well, you know what, uh, Ridge? I got I got to say th this guy is a is a is a missionary machine. <laughs> He's like, he he, uh, he I I don't hardly think I've ever met anybody who, in in regular business conversation. 
just brings up and he doesn't really care whether or not they're they're members or they're not members or whatever he brings up this information and uh and and that's and in fact that that boldness that you have and being able, being willing and able and uh, to defend the, uh, the the book of mormon and our and our and our wonderful religion that we that we share um, has resulted in some pretty amazing things that happened, which we're going to tell you about here in, in just in just a little bit. So, um, I, I wanted to just point out here. This is uh, this is Ridge in one of our uh, one of our conferences and so forth. Here he's been coming to our conferences for, for ever since really that time. And then I got, I've got to tell you guys about the. Uh, an experience that we had. Just, just we're just going to have a couple of experiences here. So, so just bear with us for a second, because this was uh, something that happened then a couple of years after this. So Ridge is uh, we we developed quite a friendship by this point in time, and and I was uh, working with uh, Kells Goodman on the TV the TV series called Hidden in the Heartland. And this is actually the the pilot episode that we were doing, and, and uh, I asked Kel. I said, "So do you need any more any more uh, extras, <laughs> you know, to, to, to do this?" And uh, Kel said, "Well, yeah, we can always use more extras because you know." And I said, "You know, I'm I'm a free one because I'll just come and do it for free, whatever." And he said, "Okay." So uh, so we actually get, went down to Wheeler Farm down in Salt Lake. And it's got this really, you know, these old barns and, you know, ponds and trees and so forth. So it kind of looks kind of oldish. And so we began that. So Kel's had like a whole cast of people he had hired to come and, and help with this. Uh, this is actually the very, one of the first uh, actual TV, made for TV um, things that we've ever done. Kel's has done a, done a tremendous job. And by the way, if you want to learn more about this, uh, you can go to the LDS Film Festival, basically, is uh, is uh, owned and operated by Kells Goodman. And uh, he's wonderful. So a little shout out to, to Kells, my yeah. buddy Kells. And uh, this is uh, some of the videos and so forth that, that, that came down from that. But I wanted to point this, this particular picture out right here, because this is some of the cast members. He had a, a full... Um, you know, they had the, the makeup and the costumes and everything else and had everybody all dressed up for this. Hopefully some of you have seen Hidden in the Heartland. If you haven't seen it, uh, we do have the DVDs and so forth for it as well um, that, of, of season one. And he's been working on it actually now has uh, season two up. You can also see those on uh, Living Scriptures and and on our, uh, on our Book of Mormon Evidence streaming website. You can watch the episodes there as well. But I, I wanted to point out, so there's, there's, there's two really tall guys in this picture. The one on the right is is yours truly, <laughs> the hat on and whatever. And the one on the left, this really really tall guy. He's probably about six foot five or six foot six. I think he was a little taller than I am, and uh, and basically had this uh, this beautiful uh, white pure white hair and this white goatee, and so forth. And we kind of struck up a conversation a couple times while we were kind of waiting around between scenes and things like that. By the way, it's Kells there in the middle. Um, kind of squatting down there with the kids, so if, if you, you know he's like the big kid there, right there. But anyway, yeah, Kells is, is is amazing. But anyway, so during the lunch break, so we had lunch, and Kells said, well, "Could you go get the pizza and so forth?" So I went to go get the pizza, and we came back. And as I came back, this really tall guy was standing there, um, and uh, and so I came up and and uh, he said, "So um, can I ask you a question?" I says, "Yeah," and he says, "What's this film about?" Because <laughs> he's just an extra from one of the, uh, the, the 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 actor actor guilds or whatever, and he said that he actually um, just I, I said well how did you get involved with the film? He said well I just he said it's always been part of my bucket list. I just always wanted to be in a in a film before I die, you know, kind of thing. 
And I said, well, that's really interesting. And he says, well, what's this film about? And I says, well, um, you ever heard of the Book of Mormon? He says, well, yeah. He says, uh, he says, well, he says, and actually, I have kind of an interesting story. And I said, really? Well, what's your story? He says, well, I actually grew up in the church. He says, but then I got to be about 16 years old, decided I didn't want to have anything more to do with it. I was done with church. And he says, I never looked back. 45 years approximately, he says, I, I never darkened the doorway of a church again in my life. He says, but then about oh, about a year or so ago, he said, um, I uh, I had the, an, int- an interesting thing that happened. He says, there was a, there's a family that I lived close to that was like, like right across the street from me or whatever. And uh, and the and the the father of that family um, just showed up on my doorstep one morning, and uh, he says I opened the door and he and he basically had a copy of a book. And he says and he and he and he handed me this book and he says you know what he says if you'll read this book it'll change your life. He says how can I argue with that? So, <laughs> so I said okay. He says will you read the book? And he says yes I'll read the book. He said okay. He said I'll come back and pick it up later, which which uh, which he did actually, but. Uh, Anyway, so he says, so I brought the book in, I started to read it, and uh, and had some pretty profound experiences um, with this particular book. So he says, so so he says, my life was going this direction, and he says, and all of a sudden I read this book, and then my life was going the other direction. And he says, and I got back in the church, and I got active again, and, and my wife and I went and got uh, sealed in the temple, and uh, he says, man, my life has been completely different since that time. And I said, wow, that's really, that's really awesome. I mean, so that's pretty incredible that, that you'd have this kind of a reaction to a book that you read and he says yeah I says that was it was just really astounding I said well you know would you mind me asking um, what was the what what was the book what was this book that you read and he says well I says I don't remember exactly but I know it had I think it was the hill Camorra on the front cover it's like it had it like this big hill on the front cover and uh, so I went over to my van <laughs> I said hold on just a minute so I went over, got, got in my van, dug out a, 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 a copy of the uh, the Exploring the Book of Mormon in America's Heartland book, and I walked over to him and I and I held out the book and I says, "Did it look like this?" <laughs> and he points that wait, that's the book. He says, "That's the book. That's the book that actually changed my life." Oh my gosh, that's so awesome! How did you have a copy of that book? I said, "Well, I'm the author of that book." <laughs> and he said, "Oh my gosh!" And he started literally tears started coming out of his eyes and he started crying. He says, oh my gosh, I want to thank you so much for this book. It has completely changed my life. And I was just like, wow, that is really, really amazing and powerful. I said, I said, you know, do you have a copy of the book? He says, no, my friend went and picked it up and he took it from me and I, and I don't have a copy of the book. I says, well, you do now. And so I, so I began to, uh, to, to write his, you know, to sign the book to him. So I said, so what's your name? He says, my name is Ray Perry. I said, Ray Perry, that's a very nice name. I said, okay, so I said, you know, sometimes I like to actually thank people who have actually taken the time to, to share our book and our research with other people. I said, do you mind me just asking, who was it, who was this friend of yours that uh, that shared the book with you? And he says, well, it was uh, was, was my, my, my dear friend, uh, the Hartleys, basically, this Jerry Hartley. And I said, wait, wait, Jerry Hartley? <laughs> <laughs> I said, wait a minute, does he have a son by the name of, of, of uh, Ridge Hartley? And uh, he said, yeah, yeah, my, my, my son and Ridge were kind of buddies, you know, kind of growing up or whatever. I guess he had a daughter. A daughter, a daughter, okay, a daughter. And I said, oh my gosh, that is so amazing. 
And I said, what's really amazing is, is that this afternoon, I'm going to be going down to meet with Ridge at Deseret Book, downtown Salt Lake. And he says, I want to tell him about this story. Does he know about you and, and your story? He says, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. And then, then, he, then he also said this. He said, you know, this is such a big deal that I came back into the church after inactivity for 45 years that uh, my state president basically, or actually a different state president actually asked him to come and speak at a, at a, uh, a big event, a stake, a stake thing there, like a fireside. And uh, so, I, so I spoke at this fireside. And then my state president asked me to speak in our state conference. So I spoke in my state conference and then did another fireside at our stake and, and whatever. He says, man, he says, it's just been absolutely amazing how this has just uh, blossomed into this wonderful, um, you know, being feeling in full fellowship with the gospel again. So now I said, man, I am on cloud nine. <laughs> I'm thinking, this is so awesome. And my friend Ridge is involved, and I bet maybe his dad doesn't even know that this happened. So, uh, so as I went up to Salt Lake that afternoon, I met with Ridge up there in Deseret Book. And uh, we had we had another experience. You, I did. You, you so, should tell that experience real quick. When I got there, Rod was showing this gentleman whose daughter had been called on a mission, and he wanted some good information on the Book of Mormon. So Rod was showing him his book about the North American DNA evidence and all the archaeological evidence that's been found in the heartland of the United States in support of the Book of Mormon. This man was so happy to get Rod's book to help his daughter prepare to be a great missionary. Well, there was a young man that was listening to everything Rod was teaching about. There was only like three people in the whole story. <laughs> like on a Thursday afternoon, about two yeah. or three o'clock in the afternoon. And all three of these people were standing in the same aisle. Listening and they all Rod had the same book the, in their hands when yeah, they walked in. The wonderful truth. And it was this one. And um, so I, I introduced myself to the young man. He was in his 20s. And he says, this information is so important. He said, I have three former missionary companions that are having their records removed from the church because they can't buy this stuff about South Central America being the Book of Mormon lands. He said, I'm so happy to learn that the prophet Joseph taught it's the United States of America where the Lord brought the, as we know, the Jaredites, Nephites, Mulekites, and the DNA evidence is here in North America. He says, this is so very important. And the young man worked at Desert Book. And uh, that was just so, so powerful (laughs) testimony of how important this correct information is that uh, that all members learn what the Prophet Joseph and the prophets have taught on uh, the Book of Mormon geography and that we use it to do successful missionary work. Yeah. In fact, I'll never forget that he said that he says this is my this is my last hope to be able to keep these these, uh, my my former mission companions um, in the church. He says if this 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 has got to be this is this is this one thing that may keep them from leaving the church, yep. and that was so powerful. I never did find out what exactly happened after that, but uh, so we finished up there at, at Desert Book, and, uh, and 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 I left, and I mean I'm just on cloud nine. I mean I've been ta- I've talked to my, my buddy Ridge here, and uh, let him know that, he, that because of his dad's efforts and so forth that that this guy is now back in the church and so forth. Right. Well, anyway, so. I jump in the van, I, I'm heading home, I get to about uh, Lehigh, and all of a sudden I realize, oh my gosh, I'm almost out of gas. Well, my, my van is a, is a CNG, a compressed natural gas van, so I had to, I, there's, there's only like a, a few places where you can get gas for that. So I hurry and pull in, and there's usually no, nobody else there. It's pretty much, you know, there's not many people have that natural gas stuff. So, so I pulled in, and it just happened there was this guy there in this white truck. 
And I'll never forget. So, I, so he he noticed me, and I guess I must have been smiling from ear to ear or something, because he because he came up and he says, "So, what are you so happy about?" <laughs> I said, "Well," and I and I could kind of see he had garments on. <laughs> so he's like, see his eternal smile. So, so I said, "Oh yeah," I said, "You know what? I, you're you're a member of the church, right?" And he says, "Oh yeah." I says, um, "I said, well, I, I just got to tell you," and I kind of told him reiterated what had happened from the uh, from, from the filming and so forth and then with Ridge and how this guy has come back into the church and and everything and this guy says well he says man that, that that's really that's kind of a cool story he says you know what's interesting because my wife actually as uh, she went to school with this lady um, and they were best friends in high school and then after high school her best friend basically decided that she was done with the church she didn't she basically became inactive for about uh, 25 30 years he said about oh probably about uh, six or eight months ago uh, my wife um, invited her 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 uh, previous high school friend to go with her to go see a, a fireside up in Cadesville area, and uh, and amazingly she agreed to go. So I said, well, okay, well that's cool. So she so they, uh, they we we all piled into the vehicle. We went up and watched this fireside, and afterwards, um, this fireside changed her life so dramatically that she has been completely active for the last six months. He says. And I said, wow, that's, that's, that's really, that's pretty impressive. That's pretty awesome. And he says, I says, you know, well, who, who was this person that you went to go here? I mean, who was this fireside by? He said, I don't remember his name, but he was really tall and had this beautiful white hair and this white goatee. I said, no way. You're kidding me. He says, no, seriously. I said, was his name Ray Perry? He said, yeah, Ray, that's, that's the guy's name. It was Ray Perry. That's who, that's who it was that, that my, my wife's friend went to go see, and now she's been completely active in the church. <laughs> Such a miracle. I call it like my, one of my best days ever, right? Anyway, so, uh, so then I, I'm just really then just excited and, and so forth. So as I leave the, the gas uh, station there, I said, you know what? I got, I got Ray's number from earlier in the day. And I called them up on my cell phone, basically said, uh, so Ray, um, I just want you to know that because of your words, because of your spirit and what you said, and you're coming back into the gospel, that this has been the effect. It's had this, this lady inactive for 25 years is now back active in the church. And he and I shared a really quite a special experience there together. We were both in tears and we were just uh, so grateful that the Lord blessed us to be able to share this amazing you know, research and information about the Book of Mormon. And so that's what I want to kind of get into for just a couple seconds. So did you have anything else you wanted to no, just, share uh, with that? I believe uh, the the Rod's books, you know, Wayne Mays, Jonathan Nevels, and all the other inspired uh, people that are part of the Heartland Research that do a great job bringing to light the teachings of the Prophet Joseph and the Prophets on these important topics uh, is key to reactivation, um, and to uh, doing incredible, successful member missionary work. And uh, it's uh, great, great, powerful information to help uh, gather Israel, as President Nelson has asked us to do. That's awesome. Okay, everybody, so that's it. if you have your books handy, then let's go, grab, go ahead and grab your uh, annotated edition of the Book of Mormon here. And we're going to go to page 445 in Mormon, chapter 7. I want to start off here with a little bit of information here. It says, And now, behold, I would speak somewhat unto the remnant of this people who are spared, if it so be that God may give unto them my word, that they may know of the things of their father. So he's now addressing the remnant of his people, the remnant of the Lamanites, basically, right? 
it says, And I speak unto you, ye remnant of the house of Israel, that they, and these are the words which I speak. Know ye that ye are of the house of Israel? He's asking the question. Know ye that ye must come unto repentance, or ye cannot be saved? Know ye that ye must lay down your weapons of war, and delight no more in the shedding of blood, and take them not again, save it be that God shall command you? And then in verse 5 he says, Know ye that ye must come to the knowledge of your fathers, and also repent of your sins and iniquities, and believe in Jesus Christ. Okay, so he, they're going to come to the knowledge of their fathers. And we've talked about this several times uh, during this year of, of, of doing these podcasts, that they're going to come to the knowledge of their fathers. Well, how are Native American people supposed to know that they are related to the Book of Mormon? That's so true. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, who is it? I mean, you know, how do they know this? Well, I think that the, I mean, obviously they could read the Book of Mormon and they could say, well, I'm assuming that I'm probably, you know, one of those people that... Uh, that is part of the Book of Mormon, but uh, but I think one way that they would know for sure is if their DNA actually matches, and that's and that's what we've talked about and many times. That was kind of my my foray basically into the whole Book of Mormon geography stuff was beginning with the DNA stuff. Chapter seven, verse ten, he says, "And ye will also know that ye are a remnant of the seed of Jacob. Therefore, ye are numbered among the people of the first covenant." And if it so be that ye believe in Christ and are baptized first with water, then with fire and with the Holy Ghost, following the example of our Savior, according to that which he has commanded us, it shall be well with you in the day of judgment. Amen. 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 <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> okay. So uh, so then in chapter 8, uh, now this is Moroni. He's finishing the record of, of Mormon. Okay, so this is actually not... This is being written by Moroni, but it's, but it's Mormon's teachings, essentially. And, and this is what he says. He says in verse 2, And now it came to pass, after the great and tremendous battle at Camorra, so that tells me that's probably the biggest battle that they ever had in their, in their, their time frames, yeah. was the one there at Camorra. And it says, Behold, the Nephites, who had escaped into the country southward, because there was a group that, that had, had uh, left the main uh, band of Nephites up in the hill Camorra, and they escaped into, land, into, the count, into the country southward, they were hunted by the Lamanites until they were all destroyed. And my father also was killed by them. So um, this is an interesting factor. Even after the final battle, the Lamanites were so thirsty for blood, basically, that they chased down the men and the women and the children that left. And they hunted them down. And those who would not basically deny Christ, they killed them. Yeah. Are we prepared to do that is our testimony of christ so powerful that as we face down the barrel of a gun or in this particular case it was probably uh, arrows or knives or whatever um that they say do you are you one of those believers if you are we're going to kill you and uh and when, then when it comes down to it are we are we prepared to say you know like uh, i can't remember who it was in church history he said I'm true blue, he says, uh, true blue to the core, something like that. <laughs> he said, um, he said, he opened up his coat and said, shoot away, brethren. <laughs> Joseph F. Smith. Oh, Joseph F. Smith, yep. that? okay, that was awesome, yeah. And do you remember exactly what he said? It's it's really powerful, but he yeah. said, true blue, faithful and all true, or something through. like that, all the way through, yeah. And uh, and basically, um, and they and they were so impressed by the fact that he would he was re- really, literally willing to give up his life and they said, you know what, that takes some courage. Somebody like that should to go ahead and live. So they let him go. 
pretty awesome. I, I want to play this little video portion here because this is actually from the church. This is a uh, um, a, a, a a part of a video that they that they did that was just so powerful. I, I just love this. But uh, let me let me play this here for you. Just give me a second here. And um, this is actually called. It's from a a, a a documentary or not a documentary. It's actually a video put out by the church. It's called Scripture's Legacy. We were not among the other sheep that Christ visited in America, and we're not bidden to come forward one by one with the multitude at the Savior's invitation. Behold, I am Jesus Christ, whom the prophets testified shall come into the world. And behold, by the way, if you look at the background, there, I am the light and the life of the world. Notice that those are not. And uh, I have drunk out of that bitter cup which the Father has given American me. And have glorified the Father pyramids. in taking upon me the sins of the world. Earth mounds. In the which I've suffered the will of the Father in all things from the beginning. Arise and come forth unto me, that ye may thrust your hands into my side, and also that ye may feel the prints of the nails in my hands and in my feet, that ye may know that I am the God of Israel and the God of the whole earth, and have been slain for the sins of the world. Consider the magnitude of our blessing to have the Holy Bible and some 900 additional pages of Scripture, including the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. Surely with this blessing, the Lord is telling us that our need for constant recourse to the Scriptures is greater than in any previous time. May we feast continuously on the words of Christ that will tell us all things we should do. I love that depiction showing the Hopewell Mound Builder civilization in the background. Part of the reason why I wanted to, to show that is because it basically says that in, in that, as if you see the, the entire version, that was a very quick, uh, just a couple of clips from that. I hate to almost read this lament, but he basically says, I even remain alone to write the sad tale of the destruction of my people. Now you have to assume here that he probably was married and probably had a family and they're all dead too. So he is basically a, um, a, a widow, a widower I should say. But behold, they are gone and I fulfill the, the commandment of my father. And whether they will slay me, I know not. Therefore, I will write up and hide up the records in the earth. And whether I go, it mattereth not. I mean, that, that shows you the kind of faith that he has. It doesn't really matter what happens to me. The only thing that matters is that these records that I've been entrusted with by my father and, and his and all of these prophets in the, in the past, that, uh, that I get these things uh, so that they can be made known. In verse 6, he says, Behold, 400 years have passed away since the coming of our Lord and Savior. And now, behold, that the, the Lamanites have hunted my people, the Nephites, down from city to city, from place to place, even until... They are no more. So uh, this is that. This is what happens when Satan gets such a such a powerful hold 
on them. But then it's interesting because Satan never takes care of his own either. So you have in, it here in, uh, in verse 8, And behold, this is the hand of the Lord which has done it. And behold, the Lamanites are at war one with another. And the whole face of this land is one continual round of murder and bloodshed. And no one knoweth the end of the war. So, uh, so Satan does not support those that he deceives and uh, so forth. Uh, if we go over then to go, go to the next page, basically, um, there's actually, in, 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 in page 446, there's a wonderful quote here. And uh, Ridge asked me if he could actually uh, uh, share with you um, something that was kind of special to him that comes from the Wentworth letter. Now, a little, a little portion of this is actually... Um, uh, brought out in this in this uh, on page 446 in the annotated book of Mormon, and if you'd like to follow along here, Ridge is going to be reading a little part from uh, what page was that? It was yes, it's page uh, 551. So page 551 in the back, and uh, I was so excited uh, to read the uh, Wentworth letter by revelation. Joseph Smith, you know, was given the 13 articles of faith, and then uh, John Wentworth wanted the the uh, history of the Book of Mormon and Joseph was very clear how the Lord brought the the Jaredites uh, here to the United States of America. And I'd like to read an excerpt uh, on page 551. Joseph Smith says, in this important and interesting book, the history of the ancient America is unfolded. Wait a minute, it said America? America. It didn't say Americas. America. Okay, okay, yeah. Referring to the United States. Uh, is unfolded from its first settlement by a colony that came from the Tower of Babel at the confusion of languages uh, to the beginning of the 5th century of the Christian era. We are informed by these records that America, in ancient times, has been inhabited by two distinct races of people. The first were called Jaredites and came directly from the Tower of Babel. The second race came directly from the city of Jerusalem about 600 years before Christ. They were principally Israelites of the descendants of Joseph. The Jaredites were destroyed about the time that the Israelites came from Jerusalem, who succeeded them in the inheritance of the country. The principal nation of the second race fell in battle towards the close of the fourth century. The remnant are the Indians that now inhabit this country. I think that is such a wonderful, powerful uh, truth that the prophet Joseph taught. So I hope all members uh, will get the blessing of reading the Wentworth letter and to learn what the greatest prophet in the world, Joseph Smith, uh, educated all members and people that want to know uh, where the Lord brought the Jaredites uh, and Nephites, uh, that he did bring them here to the United States of America, and it's where the evidence mm-hmm. is. Yeah. And I love that last that last sentence. So, by the way, the reason why that's highlighted here in the Annotated Book of Mormon is because that little that particular section was actually omitted. Um, we have no idea why, but somebody from the administrative department of the church omitted that part from the teachings of the presidents of the church, Joseph Smith. That uh, when we had those uh, being taught, uh, they just took that little part out. But the last sentence is the one that's really critical. He says, the remnant are the Indians that now inhabit this country. Well, what country is Joseph Smith in at the time? United States of America. He was not in Central America. Yeah. He, wasn't, he wasn't Mesoamerica. Um, and then we also have, if you turn back to page 446, in the, uh, here this is in right um, the next page over from where we were just uh, reading here just a little bit ago. It, it talks about that, uh, that last part, the, in, the, the remnant, 
meaning the Lamanites are the Indians that now inhabit this country. At the bottom of that page, there's a wonderful quote here by uh, President Brigham Young. When Joseph first received the knowledge of the plates that were in the Hill Cumorah, he did not then receive the keys of the Aaronic priesthood. He merely received the knowledge that the plates were there and that the Lord would bring them forth and that they and that they contained the history of the Aborigines of this country. He received the knowledge that they were once in possession of the gospel, and from that time he went on step by step until he obtained the plates and the Urim and Thummim and had power to translate them. That's from Brigham Young. So that's another another interesting thing about the Urim and Thummim. We're going to talk about that a, a little bit uh, well a little bit later in this podcast about the uh, the translation process. So going back to uh, p- to page uh, 447 now, and it says in verse 14, it says, And I am the same who hideth up this record unto the Lord. And he says, uh, And the plates thereof are of no worth because of the commandment of the Lord, for he truly saith that no one shall have them to get gain. So nobody's going to use these plates basically to, to trade them in to get the money for the gold or whatever, that kind of stuff. But the record thereof is of great worth. And, 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 uh, and whosoever shall bring it to light, him will the Lord bless. To go down to verse 16. And blessed be he that shall bring this thing to light, for it shall be brought out of darkness unto light, according to the word of God, yea, it shall be brought out of the earth, and that shall shine forth out of darkness, and come unto the knowledge of the people, and it shall be done by the power of God. Now, I just want to make a comment on that. Um, basically, this could be talking about Joseph Smith, that he was blessed by bringing it out. But I think it could also apply to every All one of us, us as members. all of us as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that we will be blessed as we bring this thing to light, as we bring the Book of Mormon to our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, the people that we have influence with online or whatever, um, that we can be blessed. And, uh, and when I think about that, I think about somewhere over a thousand books and DVDs and, uh, and and so forth that you have given out <laughs> over the course of, of, of the last about six or seven years. R- Ridge has, uh, he, he will come and get cases of books and, uh, and, 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 and dozens of DVDs and so forth. And then he basically gives them out to his different uh, clients and other people that he knows, people that he meets at restaurants. Uh, it, it's, it's amazing. I mean, he, he, he's absolutely fearless about this. And, um, and with all of that giving out of all of these things, so you, you buy these things and you give them away and uh, so forth. Let, let me ask you, Ridge, um, so how has this blessed your life? Meeting Rod and uh, learning what the prophet Joseph and the prophets have taught, how the Lord you know, brought the Jaredites and uh, Nephites, Mulekites here in North America for one, it's uh, helped um, – Oh, make the Book of Mormon come alive to me um, in ways that uh, before I uh, saw this wonderful truth, I I never uh, completely uh, understood a big part of the Book of Mormon is how these great prophets in the Book of Mormon were warning uh, us as the Gentile nation that it would be brought to their same lands where the Lord brought the Jaredites and Nephites and Mulekites. And it's made doing missionary work uh, fun. Uh, to have the correct information, it gives uh, members um, a lot more courage to share um, the the restored gospel by having Rod's books, uh, Wayne May's books, Jonathan Neville's books. 
good Christian people that live in the United States of America want to know the history of our covenant nation and learn why this nation is the most blessed nation that the world's ever had. And it makes uh, doing missionary work fun. And so I would encourage anybody that's listening to this that hasn't uh, read uh, the annotated Book of Mormon and the Book of Mormon America's Heartland uh, to please read them. It will strengthen uh, your testimony that the prophet Joseph is the greatest prophet the world has ever had, that uh, the Book of Mormon is the most correct book of Scripture, and it will help us uh, follow uh, President Nelson's um, counsel to us to do all we can to, to gather Israel. And by using this information, it, it helps us do a lot more effective missionary work, and it, it's fun to be involved uh, in this. That's very awesome. And, and, and in fact, um, the, the blessings have been so big, you probably have had no challenges in your life ever since uh, this, right? Oh, many, many challenges. <laughs> so just because you're being blessed doesn't mean you're not going to have challenges, right? right? So I know, I know that you've had, had some uh, you know, very serious challenges in your life, and, uh, and, uh, and yet, um, how do you feel that this has helped you overcome those challenges or get, oh, through, get through those challenges? Uh, spiritually, to have... Um, this the focus of our lives, the, the Book of Mormon, and to uh, do uh, member missionary work and to help uh, the full-time missionaries uh, to get uh, people so they can teach. Uh, I just believe uh, when we follow and teach what the Prophet Joseph taught, uh, how to gain credibility in the Book of Mormon, uh, all of us uh, as members will be much more successful and we'll have our own uh, testimony strength and of the Book of Mormon and of the Prophet Joseph to help us uh, stay uh, valiant in living the gospel mm-hmm. and uh, to be able to overcome uh, a lot of the false information that uh, Satan has put out uh, to try to uh, get people to leave the church. So uh, I hope uh, everyone That's awesome. will use this <laughs> and read this to uh, strengthen all of our testimonies of the prophet Joseph and of the Book of Mormon and of our Savior. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, uh, um, one of the ways that I can see that uh, that your life is blessed is, but is, is by how you have blessed other lives. And, and, and so, uh, folks, I, I, I gotta, I've got to have Ridge here. I, and uh, I, I put a couple of things together here so that, uh, that you can kind of talk about this in a little bit more in detail. But um, how would you feel um, if you were able to, because of your uh, your 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 boldness and your and your willingness to share this information, that somehow your efforts actually ultimately resulted in uh, a really significant thing happening, um, which you can see right here in this news article here. President Nelson meets with Pope Francis at the Vatican. That's a huge thing. <laughs> okay, that's that is huge, right? Um, and this, um, obviously, there, there's there's more than just one thing that was involved. Yes. But I want to tell you, though, um, or actually, I want to have Ridge tell you a little bit more about how, um, what kind of transpired behind the scenes to actually uh, facilitate this meeting happening. And so, Ridge, I want you to go ahead and uh, so so tell us a little bit about uh, about this. Yes. So um, a close uh, friend, uh, her name is Cynthia Sai. Uh, this is, oh, it's, she, um, 
was married to a Wall Street uh, billionaire, and we had the opportunity to, my partner, Cynthia, right? Gerald Shai? Cynthia Sai. Cynthia, but her, her, oh, her husband. was Gerald Sai. Yeah. T-S-A-I. And, uh, he, he headed up uh, some big... Yeah, he helped build the Fidelity Mutual Fund Empire, helped bring Citigroup into existence. Anyway, Cynthia, through the marriage to him, she was his third wife, had an opportunity to meet the who's who in the world, you know, key uh, presidents of countries, uh, you know, uh, key uh, big pharma executives, um, you know, she uh, was even a neighbor of Donald Trump for a time. Anyway, she has unique access to very influential people around the world. And when we met her about five years ago, she'd never been on a tour of Temple Square, so I asked her if she'd like to go on a tour of Temple Square, she said yes. She, she was out here to do some investing in a couple of things that you on do. On some business, yeah. some business uh, things, yeah. meetings in uh, uh, Salt Lake. So uh, I gave her a Rod's book, uh, The Book of Mormon, America's Heartland. And when I explained to her that the Book of Mormon is God's covenant book of scripture of ancient Israelite people that God brought from Israel to the United States of America, she felt the spirit that the Book of Mormon is a record of real people. It's not a fable. And when she found out how much I love doing missionary work, that I love to give, didn't, didn't she also kind of think that the that the church was kind of a cult? Or? Well, she she had <laughs> heard you know a lot of misinformation, yeah, yeah. like a lot of good Christian people yeah. do that are taught yeah. falsehoods about our religion. Yeah, and so when um, she saw how much uh, doing missionary work means to me, using uh, uh, Rod's books and like Wayne Mays, Jonathan Neville's books. Uh, she said, Ridge, uh, we should invite leaders of your church to this Vatican conference. So but roughly eight, about eight years ago, her and her friend, Dr. Robin Smith, who's a world-renowned uh, doctor out of New York in stem cell research, Robin and her company uh, learned how to do stem cell out of healthy adults instead of taking uh, stuff from aborted babies to make stem cell. So a lot of the faith religions obviously frowned on companies taking uh, parts from aborted babies to make stem cell. So uh, Cynthia told Robin, I have access to the Vatican. Let's set up this Vatican (laughs) conference, invite the top faith leaders, the top medical people, the top journalists to come together to learn how regenerative medicine blesses mankind. So um, through, we told Cynthia that through our good friend Hal Jensen, that is the man on the far left. He's the man that opened up Indonesia for the church, funded the Jerusalem Center with one contact, uh, very influential with the apostles. Amazing. Uh, Amazing. He helped uh, orchestrate this meeting with President Nelson. And so for this meeting, the uh, gentleman next to Hal, his name is Monsignor Trafney, a Catholic priest. He works directly with the Pope of the Vatican. He flew in for this meeting And in this meeting, um, Dr. Robin Smith asked President Nelson if he would uh, be a participant at the Vatican conference on one of the panels. By the way, she's the next one standing there in um, the gray next to President Nelson in black, um, you know, outfit. And so President Nelson thought for a while, told us how he was the pioneer in doing the open heart surgeries and. Um, and he thought, and he said, yeah, I'd like to do that. But it, he knew at the time President Monson was very ill. And he says, you know, if I can't go to this, I will have Apostle Elder Dale Renlund go, who's also a world-renowned heart specialist. And that's what ended up happening. 
But in this meeting, the Monsignor Trafney asked President Nelson, how is your Rome temple coming? And President Nelson says, you know, we're having a lot of challenges because we can't get top quality craftsmen, you know, to finish the temple. Well, the Monsignor said, we will help you. It was actually the Catholic Church that helped line up a lot of the top craftsmen to do the finished work for our temple. Mm -hmm. And um, from this... Uh, started a relationship where the Pope was willing to meet, you know, with President Nelson and our apostles. Let's go back for just a second here, because uh, in this, uh, the, this this photo here, uh, let me go back to one more here. So that's uh, that's your your business partner Pat, the one that had the question about the DNA thing, right? Yes, and uh-huh. that's you on the far end, on the right hand right. side there, and then um, Cynthia Sai, Cynthia Sai, my was partner in the green Nelson. That's right, and then we have uh, that's you and Elder Renland. Uh-huh. And Cynthia and Pat. Yes, and in that meeting, I actually brought one of Rod's books, the Book More America's Heartland, and I gave it to Elder Renlund, and I told him he was being given a chance to go speak at the Vatican Conference because of this book. Because if it wasn't for Rod's book, I wouldn't have had the uh, basically the courage to be so <laughs> open about sharing the gospel with Cynthia and others. Uh, Rod's book. That was also Cynthia's reading of the book, actually, that also helped her to kind of open her mind up and go, wow, wow, I didn't know all yes. this. This is pretty amazing. Right. Go ahead. So I, I just encourage uh, members um, to use these wonderful resources um, of Rod's books and, you know, the Heartland Research, because it establishes credibility in the Book of Mormon, that the Book of Mormon is a real history of ancient Israelite people, and majority of people that live in the United States of America want to learn the history of our covenant nation. It's an easy way to introduce the restored gospel to our non-member friends, acquaintances, and to help give them the opportunity, uh, once they read it, they learn uh, that the Book of Mormon is a real history of real covenant people. So when they read the Book of Mormon, they apply Moroni's promise to read it with real intent and faith in Christ instead of trying to prove it wrong. And it's just a great missionary tool that I encourage uh, all members that listen to this podcast to use uh, to do a lot more effective member missionary work. And, and, and I just love that. So just uh, so just as a, as a recap, so what ended up happening is that uh, uh, President Monson passed away. President Nelson became the president, and then he sent Elder Renland uh, to go out to the conference. Now, this is actually a couple of shots from the uh, the Fourth International Vatican Conference, which is, by the way, seen by how many people? Oh, millions. It, it probably well over a hundred million people. Have have viewed this because uh, this was this yeah, it's huge. Uh, over yeah. two years ago, and uh, the two moderators, uh, one was Sinjay Gupta, and one was Dr. Oz. So if if any of you are interested, you can YouTube those. Yep. And Elder Renlin did an inspiring job. He got to teach the world uh, a lot awesome. about the word of wisdom. He nailed it, one, and a lot about plan of salvation. Yeah. So. Through this, Rod's work and the Heartland uh, research, now uh, millions uh, have been introduced to the church, and it'll be untold. And by the way, this was this was how how many times has we had an apostle of the Lord, basically, or any any real high level leader of our church, be able to speak at the Vatican before? Um, never. As far as I know, it's, it's never happened. Right. This is the first time it's actually been invited. Yes. Um, because always before they thought, well, they're just an, they're just a, some kind of an occult, 
And uh, so this is the first time Elder Elder Renlin is there with. Uh, you can see there's a Jewish guy rabbi. With, his, with the so rabbi the right there. Nations represent. <laughs> <laughs> and you have a you had an Irish priest and you had a Scottish priest and there's there's people yeah. on the other side of this as well. Um, you can kind of see a little bit more about that. But uh, anyway, so, uh, I mean, he just did such a great job. He got in stuff about the preexistence. Yeah. He got stuff in about the word of wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and everybody was very respectful. He was funny a, a couple times and kind of brought out some laughs and so forth. And then it was very serious. And, and I mean, Elder Renlin, yes. bless you. Yes. You absolutely represented the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day yeah. Saints. You couldn't have gone and, and Cynthia, she was there personally. She said, Elder Renlin, uh, most people that were there in person believed Elder Del Renlin did the best job of any of the people that um, yeah. spoke at the Vatican Conference. Because so, so many times there's actually questions about their real beliefs. But with Elder Renlin, I mean, he was able to just tell them, this, this is our belief, and, and we, don't, we don't sugarcoat it, and we don't uh, hide from it. Right. It is what it is. Yep. And, and, I, and I just love that. Um, then now, now we, you, you mentioned before about the fact that uh, that other or the uh, um, Monsignor Monsignor Trafting. Uh-huh. So would you kind of just just retell that because this this is showing that the temple. Yes. Now, now having served my mission in Milan, Italy, okay, and being and, and was was there actually when we set up the very first stake in oh. in the the nation of Italy. It was a big deal about this temple, and I let, I remember when they announced, I was just like, "Whoa, we're finally going to get a temple," and so forth. And then, like I think it was a year, or almost a year and a half later, um, they announced the the the, uh, the Paris France temple. And then I went with Jonathan to the Paris France uh, temple open house and everything and its dedication, and the Rome temple is still languishing, you know. And it turns out they had some major problems with the uh, with the contractor and so forth there. Um, for the Rome temper, uh, Temple, and so tell them what uh, what happened in this meeting. Yeah, so the Monsignor, uh, once he found out that the church was having trouble getting the top quality craftsmen to work on our temple, uh, he helped uh, I think the he Catholic had, well, Church. Yeah, didn't he ask about how the temple was going or yes. something? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. He, he asked President Nelson how the temple was coming. President Nelson mentioned that uh, the church was having a, a challenge at getting the top quality craftsmen over there at the Vatican to do the the type of finish work that they needed to have done to finish the temple. And so I think what a show of brotherly love that the uh, you know Catholic Church uh, helped um, get our temple finished so it could be dedicated. I mean, it's a true miracle. <laughs> so, uh, so he came back to the Vatican and basically kind of greased the skids to yep. be able to get uh, the right kind of uh, people who, were, who could finish up the temple qualified. Yep. And, uh, and get it done in a quality manner. That's right. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> that was a neat miracle. Is that amazing? I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just uh, blown away by that. And actually, of course, this is this is the temple here. This is when we were there uh, about a year and a half or so ago um, for with the with, after the temple dedication. We had our tour there, and I just wanted to share with you a couple of experiences there. This is uh, this was when they had the, this is the first time ever that the entire first presidency and quorum of the twelve apostles will simultaneously out of the church headquarters in Salt Lake City. So powerful. Uh, I think there was I think that God needed them to make a statement. Yeah. Because this is the place where where Christ's original church um, met its end in Rome. As uh, as as Paul and Peter and so forth were were killed and uh, and, and and the others were, uh, were 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 chased off basically and so forth. Um and uh, and there's really there's not there's really not enough 
membership, as I understand it, in the in the uh, in the nation of Italy and the surrounding countries to justify a temple of this size and magnitude and so forth. Um, I think that God wanted to basically send a message that we're back. Yep. So powerful. The gospel of Jesus Christ is back. Um, it's been a dark age for a long time, but it's 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 but it's back in back here. Uh, I love this is the, the the Christus in the visitor center. And while we were there, had an opportunity to uh, to meet. Um, well, of course, while while they were there, I should say, they had an opportunity to meet with uh, with with Pope Francis and uh, and and, uh, and give him a a Christus statue and so forth. And that's a that's a that's a pretty monumental uh, image. Yes, it is. There, the uh, the 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 uh, the the head of the the, the largest uh, Christian religion, and the head of the truest Christian religion. Yep. Together. That's right. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, and, 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 and return back to Christ's original thing. Um, the, the news traveled fast. And, of course, here we have who's that? Uh, Cynthia Sai and Dr. Robin Smith were so excited that they had played a role in helping uh, our church and, you know, to get the President Nelson and the apostles to have that opportunity to meet with the Pope. Yeah, is that that this it's just awesome that these two, uh, not members of our faith, but they were instrumental in actually yeah. bringing to pass this historic meeting. Yep, exposure between the two the, throughout Europe yeah. of the restored gospel. And of course, uh, President Nelson calls the Rome Temple dedication a hinge point in church history. I think it's a hinge point, hinge point in, in world history as well. Yes, um, when these things uh, all came to to be and came to pass. It's interesting, though, that it took about an extra three years, three years longer than the Paris Temple to build because of all the, the issues. But then it got all cleared up once the uh, once the Monsignor basically got involved to help. and helped us out. Yep. So we want to thank them and thank the Catholic Church as well yep. for their help in getting this temple finished up. It's absolutely just amazing. Now, I just want to just tell you just really quickly. So for me, when I was there in, uh, in Italy uh, and so forth, then um, I, I went up to... Or actually, this was after we I was in Paris, actually, with, with Jonathan. We went up to Stockholm, Sweden, and uh, this is the, the, I got to stay with this wonderful family here in, uh, in, in Stockholm, Sweden. This is their, their home on the lake there. Um, got to stay there. It was beautiful. Just absolutely just amazing, the, the, the things there. And, uh, and this is uh, my dear friends here. And uh, let me see here. This is actually kind of pulled off here just one second here um not sure why that's not still there but anyway okay and this is uh banked as it's b-e-n-g-t and this is inger and this is and their last name is hoagland he is the uh, former um temple president of the stockholm temple and interestingly enough, I, I had a chance to go there and meet them and, and uh, spend some time with them while, while I was there in, in, in Sweden. I'll never forget an experience I had. <laughs> was, uh, so it was on a Sunday morning. And uh, my, my parents were very strict about you don't swim on Sundays. You don't go you know, do that kind of stuff on Sundays. <laughs> well, so we were over there and, uh, and Sunday morning and, uh, and, and Banked walks into the room I was staying in in his, in his beautiful home. And he throws me a swimming suit and they said, uh, let's, go, let's go soak. <laughs> and I said, "Well, you know what? When in Sweden, do as the Swedes do." <laughs> so, so, so I donned the swimming suit. And we went out there and had a, a two-hour uh, gospel discussion in his hot tub there before we went to church that morning. That's so awesome. uh, it was it was wonderful. I had a chance to go to the Baltic Sea for the first time and so forth, and actually um, 
uh, got to spend some quality time. The reason why I bring him up, though, is because Inger, his wife, is actually <laughs> Elder Renlund's sister. Wow. And so after after Elder Renlund got done with the Vatican Conference, he immediately then flew up to Sweden, to Stockholm there, wow. and he stayed, I guess, he, I understand he stayed in the, actually the, the same bed that I was staying in before, wow. so it's so pretty, <laughs> pretty cool to to know that, that, that this wonderful yes. family is, uh, they're such active uh, and, and stalwart members of the church there. Wow. And uh, so actually this is us uh, there as we are looking at the Baltic Sea and so forth there. Anyway, so... Um, I just wanted to bring that up because uh, Elder Renland, so we've had this kind of a connection there with Elder Renland, and he's just, uh, he's an amazing, wonderful individual, and he just yes, he really is. did a great job. Yes. So, okay, so uh, that brings me to uh, basically, um, if anybody wants like to come to, uh, you know, to, to Italy, we have the, that we have tours and so forth. We have, uh, we'll see how it goes with, co- with the COVID this year, but, but we do have a, a another uh, Italy tour coming up um, and in probably 2022, if all goes well, and that includes all kinds of fun things like you know like Venice and uh, this is the the Doge's Palace is Tanya there with uh, with the pigeons there in in, in Venice, and it's just it's, it's such an amazing place here. The, the uh, there's such deep Christian roots and and so forth there with uh, this is the First Supper, again by Michelangelo, and uh, this is I, I got to share this with you. This is this is the the main uh, palazza in Milano or Milan. This is my uh, my mission stomping grounds, and uh, so it was nice to have this tour group over there, be able to show them some of the stuff that I, I hadn't seen ever since my mission. Um, this is the, this is inside of the Duomo there in Milan. It's just absolutely staggering how these things were made clear back in the 1400s and so forth. But uh, there's this is the Palazzo, but I wanted to show this one here. This is a picture. Handsome <laughs> Rod. <laughs> back when I had hair. <laughs> So this is while I was on my mission there in front of this uh, this the statue there, and I and I had to kind of do a little reenactment thing. So while we were there, oh, there's the fat bald guy now uh, instead of the young the, 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 the young uh, guy with hair and so forth. But anyways, but that was fun to kind of do a little uh, a little comparison there. The, the, tried to get it pretty much about the same spot there on the on the plaza. It was That's kind of funny. fun to do that. There's places like Portofino. Uh, just an absolutely beautiful Mediterranean the little seaport. And, of course, everybody recognizes the building that's tilted there, the Leaning Tower of Pizza, or Pisa, I should say, because uh, this is actually uh, me eating pizza at, in Pisa. <laughs> that's really cool. That's neat. <laughs> so <laughs> you have to do that when you go there. And then there's just amazing, just am- the, the, some of the people who were there, like this is the, uh, the, the tomb of uh, Galileo, uh, where he's uh, Galileo Galilei. And this is uh, him, and then this is actually this is Michelangelo's tomb wow. uh, there in the, in this Florence. Wow. Okay, and then uh, and then uh, this is the, just kind of shows the, the uh, an image of this uh, this the, instead of this same church here, this Catholic church. But I wanted to point out another little interesting thing here. Uh, you can't really see it very well, but just on the sides of this main area right here, if you take a look over on the right hand side, you'll see an interesting uh, shape there. That's two squares. That one. That, that's the seal of Melchizedek. Wow. It's so <laughs> built right into that, uh, right there. The seal of Melchizedek built into it. And again, that's in, that's in uh, in Florence there. And again, more in Florence. This is this is actually the church building, the the Chiesa de Jesu Cristo, the 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 Sant, the. Uh, <laughs> did the, the ultimate journey anyway i can barely say it anymore <laughs> but anyway so as uh, we went to uh went to church there 
Um, and then, uh, of course, you got the you know, the Roman Colosseums and so forth, and then the Vatican. The Vatican was just absolutely just stunning. Um, you know what you can, you know the 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 thing there. The thing that impressed me the most was how how amazing and grandiose this was. But then when we went to our temple, how um, it wasn't about making us feel small as making us feel like we are connected with God. Wow, that's powerful. But we actually had our our our, uh, our tour guide actually said that one of the one of the objectives of the, of the Vatican here was to uh, basically help us to realize our own nothingness before God. Wow. That God is so great and grand and so forth that we're basically like little ants crawling around to the bottom um, compared to the building itself. And then when you go to our temple, it's really pretty impressive because basically we feel like this connection that God is not um, just looking over a a colony of ants down here, but he's actually involved with our lives. So So much different, completely different spirit about it. Of course, you have the Trayvon Fountain, and this is our group there in the temple. I wanted to point out also this is the visitor center that has the Christus and so forth here. And while we were there, um, it's just absolutely just stunning how beautiful this is. And it turns out that my my previous mission president, <laughs> Elder, Elder or, or President Yuvrard, he's from France, and he actually is now the director of the uh, of the visitor center for the Rome wow. Temple, That's so, so it was so nice to have uh, him. We actually contacted him before we went over there, and he gave us a special, extra special tour wow. of the temple and the grounds and the uh, visitor center and everything. And I want to thank uh, my 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 dear uh, uh, former uh, mission president, uh, President Yvrard, for his service throughout his entire life and for his now his service with there in the Rome Temple. So, so President Yvrard, thank you for that. Uh, this is the the famous uh, um, um, stained glass window that's in the in the visitor center of uh, Christ, and so forth. And then, and then as we were walking out, <laughs> another interesting thing: <laughs> my friend Day, Jay Osmond and his wife get Rod uh, Meldrum. What are you doing uh, here in Italy? And I'm like, what are you doing here, Jay? <laughs> anyway, so we had a a nice little reunion here uh, outside of the temple. That was really pretty fun too. Okay, so let's get back to the scriptures here, though, for the next uh, little bit. Uh, so back to, um, so we were talking about here in Mormon uh, chapter 8, and we're talking about how sharing the Book of Mormon can be a blessing in our lives. And then in, in, in verse 23 of chapter 8, um, the uh, it says, Search the prophecies of Isaiah. Behold, I cannot write them. Yea, behold, I say unto you that the, those saints who have gone before me, who have possessed this land, shall cry, yea, even from the dust will they cry unto the Lord. And as the Lord liveth, he will remember the covenant which he hath made with them. So, so he's just, again, testifying about that. He's, uh, he's admonishing us to uh, to search the, the prophecies of Isaiah. And then he basically says in verse 25, Behold, their prayers were also in behalf of him that the Lord should suffer to bring these things forth. And no one shall say they shall not come forth, for they surely shall. For the Lord has spoken it, for out of the earth shall they come by the hand of the Lord, and none can stay it. And then it tells about the day. In the coming a day, people say that miracles are done away. Uh, the blood of the saints shall cry from the Lord. There will be secret combinations and works of darkness. The power of God is going to be denied. Churches are going to become defiled. They're going to lift up the pride of their hearts. How does he know all this stuff? I mean, he, he, he's making all these claims like that these are all things that are going to happen in the last days. But how does he know it? He talks about fires and tempests and vapors of smoke in foreign lands in, in verse 29. 
There will also be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes in diverse places. It shall come in a day when there should be great pollutions upon the face of the earth. There will be murders and robbing and lying and deceivings and whoredoms and all manner of abominations. And people say, do this or do that, and it mattereth not, for the Lord will uphold such at the last day. Which, of course, we know is not true. Uh, If you go now down to verse 34, and in the Annotated Book of Mormon on page 448, uh, it says, I know you're doing. And I wanted, I, this is where I want to spend the rest of our time, basically, on this podcast. Um, and that is that uh, he says this, he says in verse 34, Behold, look, look ye unto the revelations of God, for behold, the time cometh at that day when all these things must be fulfilled. Behold, the Lord hath shown unto me great and marvelous things concerning that which must shortly come at that day when these things shall come forth among you. Now, who's he talking about here? Who's he talking to? He's talking about and to us, right? He says, verse 35, Behold, I speak unto you as if you were present, and yet ye are not. But behold, Jesus Christ has shown you unto me, and I know your doing. Brothers and sisters, this is how he knows. This is how he can say these things about the miracles are done away and the blood of the saints and secret combinations and, and denying the power of God and so forth. This is how he knows. Jesus Christ showed him us. And then he tells us what it was that Christ showed him. So he says then in, in, uh, in verse 36, he says, And I know that you walk in the pride of your hearts. There are none save a few only who do not lift themselves in the pride of their hearts and wearing a very fine apparel and emmings and strifes and malice and persecutions and all manner of iniquities. And he says, in your churches, yea, even every one have become polluted because of the pride of your hearts. For behold, you love your money and your substance and your fine apparel more than you love the sick and the needy and the sick and the afflicted. And in verse 38, now we've already talked about this a couple times on these, on these, in these podcasts, but I want to go into a little more depth this time if we can. Verse 38 is really powerful, and it really uh, kind of floored me the, the, uh, as I read this um, earlier on this year, going through these things. And in verse 38, he says basically this. He says, O ye pollutions, ye hypocrites. Now this is so powerful when you realize that this is stuff that Christ showed him. So this isn't just random things. This is things that Christ showed Moroni specifically. Um, and then he's writing down these things. He says, oh, ye pollutions, ye hypocrites, ye teachers who sell yourselves for that which will canker. Why have ye polluted the holy church of God? Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. Well, number one is, who is the holy church of God? I, I don't think that Moroni was talking about the uh, the Baptists. No. Or the Catholics or the Methodists. Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. And notice he didn't say, why are you attempting to pollute it? Or why are you trying to? He says, why, why have you polluted the Holy Church of God? Was that, does, that, does that mean then that the Holy Church of God has been polluted? And if so, by whom? Yep. Well, he tells us by whom. People he calls pollutions and hypocrites who are teachers who sell themselves, which, which I think means that they're getting paid because yeah. they're, they're getting paid, they're, they're selling their services basically, right? For that which will canker. What kind of things canker? Well, things that don't last canker. Right. You know, iron and steel, when left out, out there, they canker with rust, right? They basically fall apart over the course of time. And the things of God don't fall apart over time. His, his teachings are true, past, present, and future. Right. 
So I think he's talking about things that are not going to last, things that are going to change over time. That are contrary to what the prophets have taught. That's right. That's right. Prophets in the Book of Mormon and Joseph Smith and prophets all the way down to President Nelson. Anything that's contrary, not good. I'd call it the philosophies of men. Yes. So the philosophies of men basically are the things that are being taught by people who are being paid to teach, and they're teaching in the Holy Church of God, apparently. So who are these people? Well, we're going to talk about that for just a couple of seconds. And I, I, I've tried to really don't want to get into too much detail. I, I, I'm not trying to say that I know who these people are or anything like that. But there are some examples that I think that we can give that give us at least some kind of an idea of who and what and where this is actually happening. Um, I, want, I want to bring out, uh, go over to chapter 9 of Mormon now for just another minute here. In chapter 9, if we go down to uh, verse 16, it says, Behold, are not the things that God hath wrought marvelous in our eyes? Yea, and who can comprehend the marvelous works of God? Well, most of us are just human beings. We we don't really comprehend the, the marvelous works of God. Who shall say that it was not a miracle? That by his word the heaven and the earth should be. He's talking about creation here, right? right? How they how they were formed. And we have three creation accounts, plus we have the the temple accounts. We actually have four creation accounts that we as members of the church who are who are going to the temple can know about. And by the power of his word, man was created of the dust of the earth. So how was man created? This, this, you know, how many times have we heard of the creation story and what about Adam and Eve and right. how they were formed and so forth from the dust of this earth? And by the power of his word have miracles been wrought? And who shall say that Jesus Christ did not do many mighty miracles? And then he basically says, and uh, verse 20, and the reason why he ceases to do miracles among the children of men is because that they dwindle in unbelief. And depart from the right way and know not of the God in whom they should trust. Verse 21, Behold, I say unto you that whoso believeth in Christ, doubting nothing whatsoever, he shall ask the Father in the name of Christ, it shall be granted unto him. And this prophecy is unto all, even unto the ends of the earth. So God is basically saying that uh, if we have sufficient faith in him, then we will basically be granted anything that we honestly desire, and our desires will always be in alignment with His because we are submitting ourselves completely and utterly to His will. If you're not seeing the miracles going on, the miracles in your life, if we're not seeing those as a church, then it's not because God is not a God of miracles. It's because we are unbelieving in those miracles. In fact, he says that in the, in the, in the last days, and says in verse 24, and these signs shall follow them that do believe. Here's some of the signs of, of uh, people who believe. It says, in my name shall they cast out devils. How many times have you uh, heard of somebody casting out devils? Okay. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And whosoever shall believe in my name, doubting nothing unto him, will I confirm all my words, even to the ends of the earth. And now behold, verse 26 here. Who can stand against the works of the Lord? Who can deny his sayings? Who will rise up against the almighty power of the Lord? Who will despise the works of the Lord? Who will despise the children of Christ? Behold, all ye who are despisers of the works of the Lord, for ye shall wonder and perish. 
Very powerful. Now, all those things are basically saying, who does not have faith that the Lord did as he said in his scriptures that he did, as his prophets have spoke that he did? Um, Things like he brings up specifically in this particular case, he brings up the creation of the earth. He brings up Adam and Eve and so forth. These are foundational things that are in our scriptures. They are eternal truths. And yet uh, we have those even within our church who uh, disbelieve these things, that creation didn't really happen as it was said. In fact, it it happened more like science says, that uh, Adam and Eve really weren't the first uh, men and women women on the earth, but instead they, they came from lower life forms through the process of evolution, that Noah's flood wasn't a real event. That it actually happened, uh, maybe wasn't even real a real deal. In fact, I, I wanted to bring up um, uh, a couple of things here. This is interesting. I think you'll find this um, somewhat disconcerting, possibly. But uh, this actually was in LDS Living and uh, written by a guy by the name of uh, Stephen O. Smoot. That's by the way, that's not our Stephen Smoot. This is a different Stephen Smoot who works with uh, Book of Mormon Central. But he, he he came up with this article. It's called Five Answers to Difficult Questions About Noah and the Flood." This is from uh, January 2018. If you look down there a little bit uh, in the first paragraph, at the end of the first paragraph, he says, here are five such questions that are worth pondering as one encounters this remarkable myth. Wow. So sad. And then he tries to say, well, a myth really isn't what I'm talking about, know, but, but uh, you know, words have meanings, and for most people, a myth is something that's not right. real. Yep. You know, when they talk about a mythical land, they're not talking about a real place, yep. right? Um, so why he would choose to use that word myth as it relates to Noah's Ark is anyone's guess. I'm not trying to read his mind. I'm just saying that basically he, he basically brings out this idea that Noah's Ark and the, and the, and, and the flood of Noah was actually a myth. And then again, then basically the whole article basically goes in um, and talks about you know, other flood traditions that parallel Genesis. Yes, almost every ancient major um, history that has that, that has been passed down through the centuries. Um, talk about the beginning of the world starting as a flood, or, or, or they talk about the flood, or the beginning of the world starting off with water. Uh, about the animals, you know, any some some questions about the number of animals that uh, were said in different accounts and so forth. Um, how the Joseph Smith translation helps us basically. Was the flood the baptism of the earth? He said, you know, some people, even prophets, have basically suggested that the earth had to have its representative baptism, if you will, by having a complete flood where nothing was sticking up, which is what the scriptures say. But they said, but he basically goes and says, no, it doesn't really need to be a baptism. There's no reason for the earth to be baptized. He also says, uh, was it a global or local flood? Well, according to the scriptures, it was a worldwide flood. 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 Yeah. And even according to the Book of Mormon, um, in Ether, it says that after the floodwaters receded from off the face of this land, right. meaning America, um, it became again a, a promised land because it had been polluted by Adam and Eve and their posterity. I should say not Adam and Eve, but it was their posterity who polluted it. Um, and so basically he's arguing that, uh, that Noah's flood probably wasn't even a real event. It may have just been a local flood or it may not have happened at all. It was just a metaphor. And uh, so he basically goes in and kind of explains that and how he feels about that. And uh, anyway, so bottom line is, is that as you look at this, um, this is undermining the uh, the actual belief in the scriptures. And that are the scriptures real? Are they literal? Who can deny the works of God? Can, is he not able to do it? He's basically saying that there's no geological evidence for a flood. And of course, in the Universal Model Program or Universal Model Book, we have over 60 hard evidences of a worldwide catastrophic deluge 
um, about the same time as Noah is talked about in the Book of Mormon or in the uh, in the Bible in the Old Testament. So. I want to uh, bring that out here real quick. Uh, a couple other things that I wanted to bring out here uh, when it comes down to this. So who are some of these? Uh, who, who, here's some examples basically of potentially, I'm not saying that these people are or anything else, but I want to give you some uh, some other information here. Um, this is, um, some of you may have ever, may, may have heard of a, an individual by the name of da- Daniel Peterson. Very, very nice guy. Um, we've had lunch together and uh, so forth, but uh, he actually started an organization called The Interpreter after the farms organization was basically dis- taken, a, taken down, whatever, disbanded, or whatever. Um, and he started this organization called The Interpreter. Well, they had a big conference called the Science and Mormonism Symposium back in 2013, in which uh, Dan Peterson basically said this in the introduction remarks. He says, he says, in fact, I insisted that I wanted to be on the program, if only for these few minutes. He says, why? Because, he says, I found myself described at various places on the web repeatedly as a young earth creationist who hates and fears science, regarding it as demonic. And that's the nicer things they've said about me, he says. However, so far as I can recall, I've never been a young earth creationist, ever. And I arrived at BYU as a mathematics major with an interest in astronomy and, and, and uh, cosmology. Thus, I'm thrilled with the idea of this conference, excited for the day ahead, and the interest of my own vindication and for the public record, I want it known that I believe in and value science. Mm. Period. We hope that today's paper strengthen faith, deepen understanding, and stimulate new thoughts. Well, in that same conference, we have uh, Associate Professor of Biology at BYU, Stephen L. Peck, and he basically says this in the beginning. The title of his talk was Why Evolution and LDS Thought are fully compatible. <laughs> okay. That's sad. Um, in other words, that uh, we didn't really come from Adam and Eve. We came from a long line of uh, of, of organisms that, that developed from a primordial ooze and made up up into you know li- li- certain life forms, and then continued to get more and more complex and so forth until they actually became people, right? And that God used evolution as its primary methodology for creating life on this earth. He said this in his opening statement. He says, at, at its opening, Dan Peterson said that he was not a young earth creationist. He says, I am. In fact, I'm an ultra young earth creationist. We believe it was created in 1969 for a Rolling Stones concert that was forgotten to be unplugged at the end of it. And so it continues. No, I'm kidding. He says, I hope you know that. And he kind of laughed. He says, I, I receive letters from time to time. In fact, a good number of parents concerned about their children leaving the church over issues of science. And as a scientist, this concerns me because I don't think it's necessary. Often evolution is held up as one of the things that the parents are particularly concerned about. And for good reason, I think. But just a couple of things there. Um, he, he mentioned this that was really, I thought, important from Elder Russell M. Nelson. He said that he remembered from a Pleasant Grove East Stake conference that was held in 2000 that Elder Russell M. Nelson, not the president at the time, uh, had come down to, to speak at this, uh, this conference for the Pleasant Grove East Stake. And he said this, he said, quote, to you scientists in the room, I'd like to speak. Go back to the foundations and find the root and the basis of your science. Now, why would President Nelson ask scientists in the room here in Utah to go back to the root and basis of their science? I think it's because he's saying that there's something that went awry back, way back when science first started. 
Now, 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 brother Peck, he 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 took that as a as a reason to look into the philosophy of science more de- more in depth and more in detail. Um, in the universal model, we actually went back to just like the Nicene Creed or the Council of Nicene, um, when they had uh, people that they all they all got together. They they uh, argued about the nature of God. They came to some kind of a conclusion among themselves, and they voted as to what the nature of God was, right. and they all agreed upon that. First centuries. Until this young man came out of a grove of trees in Palmyra, New York in 1820, and he basically set that whole thing to the side because he met God. And God is not a a God without body, without parts or without passions. He can't be everywhere and, and nowhere at the same time. You know, he's not, he doesn't fill the universe and also dwell in our hearts. He is an individual. He is a person. He has a body like us. That was completely different than what was taught by the Council of Nicene. In a similar manner, in the universal model, we talk about how there was three different groups, the Neptunists, the, the, uh, the Vulcanists, and the Plutonists. And they were all got together in a big conference to ask about the nature of the Earth. <laughs> how was the Earth formed? What is its structure? And the Vulcanists said, oh, it's got to be volcanic. Because we see these big volcanoes like Mount Etna and so forth in Italy, and we, we know that that's you know that Earth that clearly the interior of the Earth is hot. And then you had the Plutonists basically said, no, no, we think it's rocks, because most of the surface of the Earth that we're familiar with is rock. So you know we it's, it's rocks. Earth is a big rock out in space, right? And then you have the Neptunists, and they said, no, most of the Earth is covered with water, so the Earth is actually a big ball of water. And the three of them argued about what they were going to be. And then the Neptunists were actually kind of winning until the Vulcanists say, well, how do you explain volcanoes then if the world is, is if the Earth is a big ball of water? And they said, well, because of, uh, say, oh yeah, there's coal, and coal can spontaneously combust, and it gets hot, and then that causes the rocks in the Earth to heat up, and that's what causes volcanism. <laughs> but of course, they were wrong, because right. <laughs> coal doesn't just, you know, just all of a sudden burst into flame. You have to have oxygen for that, anyway. And so they they lost the uh, the Vulcanist one, and from that day to this to this one, we've all been taught that the Earth is a great big ball of molten magma, even though there's absolutely no evidence for that actually happening down deep in the Earth. The deepest boreholes demonstrate otherwise. You know, that where did all the energy come from, and so forth. So we cover all that in the Universal Model. But I just wanted to show, share with you. Here's President Nelson. wasn't President at the time, but Elder Nelson saying that we need to go back and, and look at the foundations of our, of our science. And we haven't. In fact, uh, at, at BYU and other places, they're, they're teaching the same science as any other college anywhere in the world. So sad. In fact, uh, at, the, the, at this particular other conference that uh, I've, I've talked about in the past, it was called the Heaven and Earth Symposium, which was held at Utah Valley University, and, but it was sponsored by BYU, and they basically it was a it was a huge evolution promotion um, conference to the students at BYU and UVU. And anyway, so he said that uh, uh, the, the the last part of this though, uh, the two other little statements I wanted to read from this. But again, this is uh, this is um, uh, Stephen Peck, um, one of the the head people at the Department of Biology at BYU. He says it's a great. He says when it, he's talking about intelligent design or the idea that uh, that that there was an intelligent being that actually designed the Earth and and so forth. He says it's a great marketing campaign. I mean, intelligent design. It's a marketing genius. It's like 
one of the great marketing things of our time, and maybe even rivaling Coke because it's got such a cool name. Intelligent design. And I found LDS people are tempted by the idea of intelligent design because it's got such a great name. You know, we, as members of the church, we are just enticed by really great names. If, if something comes up with a really great name, we're just going to completely buy into it, right? I mean, isn't that kind of what he's saying here? That because uh, because we're buying into intelligent design just because it's got kind of an, an interesting name? He says, so intelligent design kind of imagines a Harry Potter-like God that has to keep tempering with the potions to get it to work. At the end of his presentation, they had a Q&A session, and then the first questions, a couple of questions that he reads, uh, was this. And actually, you can go online and actually just look this up. This is the this was, uh, um, and again, Stephen Peck, and this was the, uh, the interpreter conference that they did back in 2013. I thought they were going to have one every year, but it, they apparently decided not to do that. Anyway. So this is the question that was that was given from the audience. He says, "What what's your uh, thought on or your regard to evolution with regard to man?" Mm-hmm. Answer from from Stephen Peck. He says, "I absolutely believe that this physical body evolved. I see lots and lots of evidence, and to see it otherwise, well, I would have to abandon the science of evolution to do so." Wow. Oh my goodness, we wouldn't want to abandon that. Um, however, interestingly, in light of this fossil question, the spirit doesn't fossilize well, so I don't know anything about the nature of things you know in the distant past. But I do believe that the human body is an evolved structure. Next question. What about the commandment of plants and animals to multiply in their own sphere? How can evolution fit or work with this? Can there still be, can, can there still be a, a species drift? And he says, uh, that's a great question. And I think, again, as was pointed out by Jeff, that's actually Jeff Meldrum, my cousin, <laughs> a couple times removed, he says that the scriptures, when they conflict with deep biology or deep biology that we see, well, we can reinterpret them in different ways. So basically, if I think he's what he's saying here is if there's a conflict with the science of biology, we should trust the biology and and uh, change our views or reinterpret the scriptures so that it matches our views and not the other way around. I think that's a dangerous precedent. Very dangerous. Okay. And uh, and, and I, I, I disagree with that. So uh, then, then uh, Jeffrey M. Bradshaw, Senior Research Scientist at the Florida Institute for Human and Machine Cognition. Uh, this is uh, also in the same conference. He basically said, Uh, More recently, we have seen the same phenomenon in the unwillingness of some saints to give up the outmoded idea that the Book of Mormon peoples were confined to the boundaries of North America. So it turns out that the same people who are pushing the agenda of the the creation really isn't what the scriptures say, that Adam and Eve really weren't our our original mother and father, that it came by through evolution, that Noah's flood wasn't really a real event, are also the same people who push the Central American idea that the Guatemala is the promised land of the Book of Mormon. It's the nation above all other nations. It is where the New Jerusalem is going to be built and where the gospel is going to be restored. Oh, except for it didn't happen there. And this is part of the the, the, the panel discussion. This is Trent Stevens from Idaho State University. And he's a friend of Jeffrey Meldrum, who is, again, my my cousin. And he also happens to be Jeffrey Meldrum is also one of the world's foremost experts on Bigfoot on the the, uh, the legendary animal Bigfoot and so forth. He says, uh, since that time I've told my students, this is Trent Stevens who teaches at Idaho State University, 
and as a member of the church. He says, the most important book in biology that you will read, you will ever read, and you should read it immediately if you haven't, is Origin of Species by Charles Darwin. And I challenge you to find a scientifically invalid concept in that book. It's elegant from pure prose. It's elegant. And the second most important book in biology is the book on growth and form by Darcy Thompson, both of whom are atheists. So um, that's the most important book that you'll read on biology. Um, So as you look at this, then people go, well, how did this happen? How do we have this kind of thing going on here in the church? In the church. So. And these are these are members of the church, uh, apparently faithful, that uh, that are teaching things that are that go directly against what most of us have been taught from the church are are the truths of the creation and Noah's flood and Adam and Eve and and so forth. People go, well, how does this happen? How, how do we get to there? Well, I want I want to just take a, just a few minutes here. And uh, talk about a few things about this book. It's called Faith Crisis, uh, Volume 1, We Were Not Betrayed by jo- Joseph Smith Foundation. Now, this is the new updated cover. We liked it better than the uh, than the kind of little bit not-so-happy young woman <laughs> in, the, in the thing, too. A, a nice uh, shot with the ocean here. Uh, no need for a faith crisis. We were not betrayed. But in this book, it tells us, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to use this as an example of uh, potentially... Uh, we don't know exactly if this is what was what uh, was being showed to Moroni by Jesus Christ about the polluting of the church, but uh, but here we have a, 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 an interesting example. This is um, uh, I'm going to read just a couple of excerpts out of this book because this has to do with the church history department and not not from the current one, but the ones in the past. But it also deals with the current church history department as well. This is President Ezra Taft Benson. After careful review of uh, by Presidents Gordon B. Hinckley and Thomas S. Monson, summed up our current academic atmosphere um, solemnly in these words. He said, "The world worships the learning of man. They trust in the arm of flesh. To them, man's reasoning is greater than God's revelations. The precepts of man have gone so far in subverting our educational system that, in many cases, a higher degree to gay is." Is the so-called so, in the so, so-called social sciences can be tantamount to a major investment in error. Very few men build firmly enough on the rock of revelation to go through this kind of indoctrination and come out untainted. Unfortunately, for those who succumb, some of some use their higher degree to get teaching positions, even in our own church education system, where they spread the falsehoods that they have been taught. So Unquote. Again, that's from President Ezra Taft Benson after review by uh, Gordon B. Hinckley and Thomas S. Monson. So what are some of these things that are being taught and how did that get into our schools and our education, our church education system? In this book, it talks about the Hoffman letters. And basically, Mark Hoffman, we know that, they, that he had these bunch of fakes and so forth. And we don't have time to get into details about that. If you want to learn about that, get, get, get a hold of the book here. But basically, uh, and we have the book there on our, on the, uh, on the, in the bookstore if you want to get that. But uh, there's just a, a few uh, kind of, not really random, but these are quotes from um, a, a guy by the name of Leonard Arrington, who was the church historian for 10 years. And, uh, and it turns out uh, that um, he, th- this, is, this is kind of fascinating, but he basically had um, his, all his memoirs and all these papers and so forth, about 40,000 documents and things that, were, that he turned over to Utah State University and said, Upon my death, I want these sealed for 25 years. I don't want them coming out, any of this stuff coming out for 25 years after I die. Uh, 
And they said, okay, well, unfortunately for him, um, they, that got, that got circumvented and his, his, his memoirs and so forth ended up getting published. Now Ridge has read read this book as yeah. well and so forth and uh, I'm telling you what it's wow. I highly recommend people to read it so that we learn we can always have faith and confidence in what the standard works teach and what the mm-hmm. prophets have taught every day of the week over these progressive uh, scholars who teach uh, false things contrary to what the standard works teach and what the prophet Joseph and the prophets have taught on these important topics. So yeah, we can always have uh, faith in what the prophets and the scriptures teach. Yep. So basically a few things that uh, just, I'm going to just uh, share with you some things, because this is stuff that nobody, I, I would say that probably not even 1% of the membership of the church even knows that, uh, that Leonard Arrington, for example, while he was church historian had basically no testimony at all right. of any aspect of the gospel. Right. And said that, he wouldn't uh, if if members uh, knew really what he believed, he, they wouldn't want him teaching their children. Yeah, but uh, but then after the brethren found out about this, they basically let him go from his yeah. position there as the as the church historian. But unfortunately, they made a place for him to teach for thirty years at BYU, where he where he basically brought up an entire um, next generation of people who basically espoused his ideas. And let me share with you a few of the things. Now, this is this, we know this stuff because his, his memoirs were published about uh, two or three years ago. And so it's actually a matter of record. This is from his personal journals and so forth. But uh, this, is, this is the acclaimed work of, of Mark Hoffman. They, uh, these, these church historians were the ones who were basically believing in the Mark Hoffman forgeries. And they, and they, were, they, were, wanting, they were wanting desperately to believe in these forgeries because the forgeries were showing that Joseph Smith was kind of an occultist. He was kind of a, into the magic arts and black magic and that kind of stuff. And his family was too. And so they started, they started to say, oh, these are absolutely, you know, these documents are real and so forth. And Hoffman was smart enough to basically weave them into early church history. And so we had the historians of the church were the last ones to believe that these were fakes. After Hoffman blew up his, uh, his, his partner's wife and killed her in a, in a bombing, and then he blew himself up to try to cover his tracks and so forth. But when the Salt Lake police finally got affidavits and went into his house and got a warrant to, for, to go into his house, uh, they found all the stuff. And they knew he was faking them. And even then, these church historians refused to believe that Hoppen was faking these things because by then they were actually publishing these things in a lot of the church history uh, books and so forth that were coming out at the time. It said, Arrington, like most historians, did not believe that the bombings had cast any doubt on the documents of Hoffman had discovered. And LDS, several LDS historians at BYU had invested time and scholarship in the Hoffman finds. Um, let's see. Uh, then, then this goes into uh, Arrington's the diary revealed his feelings on the first vision, for example. So this is what he felt about his first visions. Quote, it isn't important whether certain religious or theological affirmations are truths in a literal sense or whether they are true in a symbolic or poetic sense. Uh, George Santiana introduced me to the idea or quote unquote myth, as was used by Stephen Smoot in his article, Not again, not our Stephen Smoot, to mythical truth. So he introduced me to the idea of myth, to mythical truth, which is a very satisfying concept. Religion may contain a symbolic and not a literal representation of truth and life. In the Mormon epic, 
one may believe in the first vision without worrying unduly as to whether or not God and Jesus literally appeared in person to Joseph Smith or whether he thought he saw them in a more mystical sense. Did the plates of the Book of Mormon exist in a concrete literal sense or did they exist in a symbolic sense? I feel comfortable either way. So sad. Um, then it goes into uh, his, his uh, th- this is um, one of his protégés. So basically there was uh, Leonard Arrington, there was another individual before him that was kind of Ar- Arrington's protégé. But then later on, um, th- as they taught and so forth, uh, another person that came up um, through the ranks and basically became part of the church history department is actually today one of the top people in the church history department. And that's Richard Bushman. And in his, in his book called Rough Stone Rolling, which, by the way, is used um, by anti-Mormons. The first book that the anti-Mormons uh, want, like like uh, Delin, like John Delin, uh, the first book that they want people to read in order to to shake their faith is to read Richard Bushman's book called Rough Stone Rolling. And in Rough Stone Rolling, here's here's some quotes from Rough Stone Rolling. It says Joseph Smith's involvement in magic was a preparatory gospel, and remnants of the magical culture stayed with him to the end. So basically, Joseph Smith was into black magic and uh, and so forth, and that stayed with him to the end of his life. Joseph Smith gave, quote, angry responses and, quote, lashed back. Um, Joseph Smith had easily bruised pride. He was unable to bear criticism and rebuked anyone who challenged him. Joseph Smith suffered from treasure-seeking greed. That's on page 51. The Smith family had been diagnosed as a dysfunctional family that produced a psychologically crippled son. Again, meaning Joseph Smith. The Smith family was drawn to treasure-seeking folklore and saw astrology and magical formulas and rituals as connected to their spiritual well-being. Magic and religion melted, melded in the Smith family culture. Consecration never worked properly. The system's two-year existence was about average for those various communal experiments being undertaken in the period. Joseph Smith Sr. was an, quote, oft-defeated, unmoored father who partially abdicated abdicated his uh, family leadership. Joseph Smith Sr.'s life was, quote, blighted by shame. Was Joseph Smith an adulterer? Had Joseph Smith been involved in an illicit affair? Joseph Smith's boasting made his personal secretary a little uncomfortable. Joseph would cut loose with with extravagant comments about his mastery. Uh, Joseph Smith had outrageous confidence for attempting the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible. Treasure-seeking taught Joseph to look for the unseen in the stone. Uh, Joseph, from time to time, drank too much. Joseph probably exaggerated the persecution after relating his first vision experience. Uh, no flashes of intelligence, ambition, or, or or faith distinguish him. And Joseph Smith was not the luminous figure he is sometimes made out to be. His own person was effaced. Terrible. Those are all things that are describing Joseph Smith and his family in rough stone rolling. And, uh, and it causes a lot of people to really uh, have a major concern. Now, I want to share with you a, a couple of other quick things here. Um... Uh, one of them is an, an organization that many of you probably have never heard of. It's called the Swearing Elders. And who are the Swearing Elders? There was this guy by the name of Sterling McMurrin. And uh, he was also a historian and so forth. And he actually was a University of Utah professor and former teacher of the of uh, church education system. He was also a United States Commissioner of, Ed- of Education under President uh, Kennedy. 
During the summer of 1952, McMurrin sat down with President Joseph Fielding Smith and Elder Harold B. Lee, remembering that he, quote, shocked them with his, quote, heresies. This is what comes from his journal. This is Sterling McMurrin's journal. He says, quote, he says, I just laid my heresies out from start to finish. They didn't have to ask me many questions because I said, well, we might as well start at the beginning with Adam and Eve. I don't believe they existed. So sad. I don't believe there was such a place as the Garden of Eden. I think the whole story is a cultural myth. I don't believe in the fall of man and man's estrangement from God. Unquote. Now he continues. He said, he said they just sat there, obviously shocked, <laughs> and waited Terrible. to see what would come next. So I went on and I got, until I got to the divinity of Christ. I didn't believe in that either, which must have been a major shock to them. But I pointed out, if you don't believe in the fall, then there's no point in believing in a Savior. But I did say, I don't want you to think that I regard Jesus as just a great teacher. He was a man of enormous spiritual insight. I laid it out there so there was no mistaking what I meant. Then Joseph Fielding asked, well, what about Joseph Smith? What about the first vision? Well, I was coming to that. You know, I said, President Smith, my views are essentially naturalistic. He wanted to know what I meant by naturalistic. I said, well, some people believe in evil spirits. I do, said President Smith. He says, I know you do, I said, and that's why I'm taking this example. Let's assume that someone comes into your outer office and is behaving very strangely. You might go out there and say, He's possessed of an evil spirit. Let's lay our hands on him and cast the, cast out the devil. But I might look at the same man and say, he's out of his mind. Let's get him to the hospital. The first explanation is supernaturalistic, and the second one is naturalistic. I told them as well that I didn't believe Joseph Smith had actually seen God. Well, we went from there to the Book of Mormon. <laughs> and I assured them that I didn't believe that it was authentic. Indeed, President Smith was shocked by this unabashed rejection of Adam and Eve, the the historicity of the Book of Mormon, the reality of the first vision, the divinity of Jesus Christ. He was also surprised by the denial of the spiritual realm by a member of the church, especially by one so intimately connected within the church's education system. Traditionalists believe in the existence of a spiritual dimension, and for them, an understanding of its governing laws in relation to the temporal realm is essential. For progressives, including Sterling McMurrin, the spiritual realm was of little importance. Uh, Leonard J. Arrington, basically, he became one of the church's most uh, influential progressive leaders of the 20th century. He was known as the father of New Mormon history. And he, and, he, and he mentored hundreds of progressive historians that came up through BYU. He served at the church history division for 10 years and uh, so forth. Um, he was very concerned about traditional leaders like President Ezra Taft Benson and Marquis e. Peterson and Elder Boyd K. Packard. He didn't, so didn't like those those uh, those staunch uh, conservatives. Before Leonard Arrington died, he placed his research, his personal papers, and his over 40,000-page diary in a collection at Utah State University, stipulating they were not to be read until 25 years after his death. Um, some of the other, the other things here. Um, so they started this group called the Swearing Elders. So and the Swearing Elders was a group of, uh, of uh, basically university-level uh, um, professors and so forth, um, all of them members of the church, but they were sick and tired of these traditionalists basically you know, leading the church and holding sway as far as the church and its direction and so forth. So they decided to start to meet together to see how they could basically take the church in a little bit different direction. 
Um, one of the swearing elders became agitated by President Joseph Fielding Smith's book, Man, His Origin and Destiny, and therefore scheduled one of their last meetings to center around debating the book. The swearing elders were wholeheartedly pro-Darwinian evolution. Leonard Arrington also fully accepted the law of evolution in biological science, unquote. So this is uh, from the book. Uh, he says, these are intellectual constructs that have molded my thinking throughout my lifetime. Arrington noted, he says, quote, the law or theory of evolution. The earth is old, always evolving. Plants and animals are old, always evolving. Even man is evolving with God's blessing toward a better life. Charles Darwin and the others. Um, so even that, even though that was the case, President Joseph Fielding Smith um, uh, talked about some of these issues as well. He says, I attended sessions of meetings with the inst- of the institute teachers held in the assembly room on the fourth floor of the church office building. I cannot say I was very, very greatly edified. Too much philosophy of a worldly nature does not seem to mix well with the fundamentals of the gospel. In my opinion, many of our teachers employed in the church education system have absorbed too much of the paganism of the world and have accepted too readily the views of uninspired educators without regard to the revealed word of the Lord. So, sheesh, is, is this some of the things that, that Christ showed uh, Moroni that yep. he's talking about? Have President Ezra Taft Benson said this. He says, we have not been using the Book of Mormon as we should. Our homes are not as strong unless we use it to bring our children to Christ. Our families may be corrupted by worldly trends and teachings unless we know how to use the book to expose and combat the falsehoods in what? Socialism, organic evolution, rationalism, humanism, and so forth, unquote. That's President Ezra Taft Benson. So he's telling us some of the things that we need to be looking out for. Now, just a couple more things. This book has got so many amazing things here. This is this is uh, David uh, Bakavoy. Um, by the way, he is also, uh, he, he's been uh, closely shown with, with uh, Daniel Peterson from the Interpreter Foundation. He, he also applied biblical criticism to the Book of Mormon. And he said, and, which, uh, and this is actually published on the Book of Mormon Central website. So sad. Whew. And this is what it says, quote, the Book of Mormon's ability to bring its readers close to divinity is independent from how much or how little of the work can be considered ancient. Its historicity must be assessed critically in light of the way scholars can come have come to understand the authorship of the Bible. Though some of the conclusions scholars reach through higher criticism certainly create some challenges for the Book of Mormon's ancient claims, Latter-day Saint students should not be afraid to give these matters careful consideration. The Book of Mormon's spiritual validity is a matter that transcends questions about historicity. So it's more important than whether or not it's actually a true, whether or not it's a true historical document. Its its teachings are are more important than whether or not it's actually true. The train of logic followed by David Bakavoy is accurate. If the authenticity of the Bible is in question, then the Book of Mormon itself must be reevaluated. Must be open to the idea that the Book of Mormon may not be historically viable. Nephi says he received the writings of Moses on brass plates. Jesus Christ in Third Nephi attributes prophecies in Deuteronomy to, to, to Moses. If Moses did not write these books, why does the most correct book say that he did? <laughs> okay. um, ancient prophets understood as did Joseph Smith that in our day, the learned scholars would attack the very foundations of the Bible or its authenticity. And that was actually very apparent in the, uh, in the if you want to listen to some of that, you can go to the, uh, the Heaven and Earth Symposium that was done there at UVU. They talked about this how the, uh, the, the Bible is actually incorrect. 
There is, uh, it says, uh, by, by their casting of aspersions toward the original biblical text and their writers, the progressive New Mormon historians stand in direct opposition to the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith and to the foundation of the Restoration. There is neither doubt nor ambiguity that in Joseph Smith's declarations that he had visited with, and he knew personally many of the ancient prophets whose writings appear in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the Book of Mormon, and they were actual people who lived when they said that they lived. So if the Book of Mormon isn't a real history, then how is it that Mormon and Moroni and so forth are visiting and talking to Joseph Smith if they didn't really exist? So that goes into the historicity question, which uh, Leonard Arrington used biblical criticism to analyze the Bible, which he had only read only once and he did not enjoy as a child. So he only read the Bible one time. And this biblical assessment prompted him to reassess the Book of Mormon. Dissatisfied by what he'd read, he began his own modernist version of the Book of Mormon. Quote, he says, I read about science and religion, about evolution, about psychology and philosophy. At the LDS Institute from George Tanner, I was introduced to higher criticism and the scriptures. Since there was nothing equivalent to the Book of Mormon, which I thought was boring and confusing, I determined during my first year of college to do a more modern version of the Book of Mormon. In fact, I rewrote a few chapters in the first book of Nephi. So sad. (laughs) Terrible. (laughs) Later in life, Arrington experienced, quote, anxiety and stress as he wondered whether the Book of Mormon actually occurred. In 1978, Arrington read a manuscript written by John Sorensen, later published as Ancient American Setting for the Book of Mormon. Sorensen's work placed the lands and events of the Book of Mormon in the cultural area of Mesoamerica, notwithstanding the teachings of the church for over 100 years to the, to the opposite of that. Arrington was converted to the Mesoamerican model for Book of Mormon, but still left room for doubt as to whether Joseph Smith explained the text, introducing 19th century content into the Book of Mormon. Quote, a friend noted, this is from Arrington, I have pushed him before, and, uh, before on certain things and got something of the same answer. I said, okay, Leonard, uh, were there really Nephites and Lamanites? He laughed and eventually said, well, let's put it like this. That is the part of the great Mormon myth that we all hold to and all benefit from. So even though it's a myth, we can benefit from it if we can believe the lie. Terrible. And then he says, in the Mormon epic, one may believe in the first vision without worrying about whether God and Jesus actually appeared or not. Then he had uh, he had three epiphanies that are kind of like he call them uh, visions. He said, "I suddenly felt an exhilaration that transported me to a higher level of consciousness. I felt I was absorbed in the great I, the kingdom of the heavenly one, the universe of the Holy Spirit. I felt I was lifted out of the ordinary world into the beautiful world of the divine." And then he basically said that he that that he was to be one who was going to change the the direction of the church. Then he had his third epiphany. And this is where his, he, he kind of got his call from. He says, more than simply writing history, Arrington believed he had been called to create a movement within the walls of his scholarly domain that would revolutionize Latter-day Saint history. He would accomplish this by changing and reshaping how Joseph Smith was portrayed, how the Restoration really came about, and what it meant, or what he thought it should mean, to be a Latter-day Saint. Leonard Arrington, Mark Hoffman, Fawn Brody, Juanita Brooks and, Brooks and others— uh, shared the same ultimate goal. They wanted to change history, each in their own way. They wanted to move attitudes away from the traditional perspective advocated by historians such as President Wilfred Woodruff, Elder George Albert Smith, George A. Smith, I should say, Elder Willard Richards, and President Joseph Fielding Smith, to one they imagined and hoped would move their progressive ideals forward. Arrington's epiphany occurred during the time in which he was involved with the Swearing Elders group. 
Arrington believed that he had hit upon a silver bullet. More than that, he believed his God wanted him to do this. Quote, he says, an invisible higher power had now given me a commission and the experience, and the experience remi- remained and continues to remain with me. Regardless of frustrations and obstacles that come uh, to me in the years that followed, I knew that God expected me to carry out a research program of his people's history and to make available that material to others. Whatever people might say about this mortal errand, I must persevere, and I do so in an attitude of faithfulness. So So he basically believed that he was called by God to change the history of the church from from that which was held out by... um, by the prophets and apostles and so forth to a more progressive history. Kind of reminds me a little bit about the Korahor account. <laughs> okay. Yes. Because his ideas was to stir up the people against the progressive beliefs and uh, establish a new, a new uh, baseline, a new history. When Alma confronted Korahor, a contest between two influential ideological leaders emerged, revealing two conflicting worldviews. Alma employed logic, reason, true science, and an appeal to scripture in the ensuing debate. But he could not dissuade Korahor. Finally, after Korahor demanded a sign, the Lord struck him dumb. Filled with terror and silence by the very power of the God that he had denied, Korahor begged Alma to remove the curse from him. As he pleaded for mercy, he confessed the source of his deception, explaining that he had been, quote, deceived by a fallen angel through a spiritual or mystical experience. An invisible or perhaps indistinguishable higher power had called him on a mission to save the Nephite saints of that day. In fact, he says here, in, uh, in, in um, it says, For behold, the devil hath deceived me. He hath appeared unto me in the form of an angel and said unto me, Go and reclaim this people, for they have all gone astray after an unknown God. And they were pleasing to the carnal mind. Korhor was not operating from mere intellectual skepticism. He had an experience, an impression, a call from a supernatural force that sent him on a mission to change the Nephite church and to reclaim this people. Sounds kind of sounds familiar. Oh, yes. Um, the question is that some, some conflicting testimonies could not have come from the same source. The question is, whose testimony came from God, Alma's or Korahor's? Each Nephite would have to decide for themselves. Many in, many in the Nephite generation watching and listening to Korahor became, quote, convinced of the wickedness of Korahor and converted again to the Lord. However, the Antichrist and anti-traditional narrative had already taken root. The grandchildren of that generation and the generations that followed were misled by the false teachings that Korahor had professed and suffered the consequences. One generation following Korahor's appearance among the Nephites, the Nephite church experienced a massive faith crisis. Only a few years earlier, the church had experienced incredible growth and prosperity. The work of the Lord did prosper unto the baptizing and uniting the church of God, many souls, yea, even tens of thousands. Despite that remarkable faith of the people, the younger generation began to doubt as the philosophies of man like Korahor took hold and they began to fall away in droves. So there we go. The the, the final couple of things here is uh, it talks about uh, Ezra Taft Benson. Ezra Taft Benson identified the five specific antichrists of our day. He said that uh, that we are to help expose some of the deceptions of man like Sigmund Freud, Charles Darwin, John Dewey, Karl Marx, John Keynes, and others. Today, they are uh, there, there are much worse things that can happen to a child than not getting a full college education. In fact, some of the worst things have happened to our children while attending colleges led by administrators who wink at subversion and amorality, unquote. That's a quote from Ezra Taft Benson. 
um, in regard to that. So he, he identified who was it? It was uh, Sigmund Freud, Charles Darwin, that means the theory of evolution, John Keynes, Karl Marx, that's socialism and communism, and John Dewey. And he basically said that these were major, uh, these were the antichrists of our day. And then to finish it up here, he, uh, he gives us the Brigham Young Academy. This is um, Brigham Young. This is what he was wanted, why he wanted to establish the Brigham Young Academy. And so this is what I, was, I wanted to point this out. How well is BYU doing today at following these guidelines given by its mentor, which was, which was Brigham Young? Which, by the way, uh, students at BYU have actually called for the taking oh, down of his statues. And also the name of the university should be changed because why would we have somebody who is a quote-unquote known racist heading up this school? Whew, crazy stuff. Okay. BYU Academy was one of many Latter-day Saint schools. Between 1860 and 1907, 37 academies were established to provide a gospel-centered education to the youth of Zion. Sadly, we know of no institution of higher learning in the world today dedicated to the refutation of the dangerous counterfeit philosophies Brigham Young was concerned about. Perhaps the day will yet come when the Latter-day Saints will organize schools as President Young envisioned them with these criterion. Criterion number one. Schools that expressly counter false philosophies, including Darwinism, Marxism, socialism, atheism, and so forth. So schools that expressly counter these false philosophies. All those things are taught pretty much as fact at BYU right now. Schools that teach the doctrines of the gospel as contained in Latter-day Revelation to counter these false philosophies. Number three, schools where the primary texts are the standard works of the church and no doctrines contrary to the scriptures are promoted. If it's contrary to the scriptures, they're not going to be promoted at BY Academy. And number four, schools where individuals with true faith in the doctrines of the gospel as contained in the scriptures and taught by Latter-day Saint prophets of God create all of the textbooks and the teaching materials. So no outside sources, basically sources that are faithful to the gospel, faithful to the truth, should be the ones who are writing the textbooks and, and creating the teaching materials. And number five, schools where the saints manufacture all teaching materials to ensure that the above criteria are met. That's what Brigham Young was originally, had, right, he originally set up the BYU Academy, which is now known as BYU. Unfortunately, I think we have failed miserably in, uh, in following Prophet. President Young's lead in what we should be doing there. Okay, so I've been yakking here for a little bit. So a couple of things I want to uh, last things here. So um, in the uh, as we finish up here, verse thirty-three of uh, Mormon chapter nine, it tells us what the uh, what the record was was made. So this is actually uh, verse thirty-two of chapter nine. It says, "And now behold, we have written this record according to our knowledge in the characters which are called among us Reformed Egyptian." So this is tells us what the uh, what the the language is being handed down and altered by us according to our manner of speech. But he says, if our plates had been sufficiently large, we, we should have written in Hebrew, but the Hebrew has been altered by us also. And if we could have written in Hebrew, behold, we would have had no imperfections in our record. Wow. So Hebrew was their primary language. And that, but they kind of had to do this Reformed Egyptian thing. And I wanted to bring that out. Uh, actually, this, this DVD right here, it's called Book of Mormon Evidence Number 2, talks about the Hebrewisms in the heartland of America. If they were, if the Book of Mormon really did exist, if it really was a true history, a real historical document, 
then um, then the people were Hebrews. Right. And the Hebrews have certain cultural traditions and things that might show up in the archaeological record. And indeed, it does. It does. And so there's the language of the Hebrews. The, 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 uh, the, the Hebrew language has been found in, in a couple of different uh, things there in the, in the heartland of America as well. So we have the evidence there. This is uh, this called Hebrew in the Heartland. It's, the, it's disc number four of the six DVD series called Book of Mormon Evidence Number Two. Um, we talked about... Uh, they, how, the, how the Lamanites were, they, they began warring with each other and fighting against each other and so forth. Well, that is also brought out in the, uh, in the later uh, anthropology and archaeology of, of uh, the heartland of America. The uh, DVD that, t- that talks about what happened after the Book of Mormon time frames is called the Hinterland Hypothesis. This is the heartland core with a Mesoamerican periphery. And this is uh, this is an attempt to reconcile Book of Mormon geography theory. So how is it that... Uh, that that uh, presidents of the church have gone down to Central and South American dedicated temples to the children of, of Lehi. Well, it makes perfect sense when you understand the hinterland hypothesis. It happened long after the Book of Mormon time frames. Uh, people t- t- talk about the Hill Cumorah, verifications and realistic archaeological expectations, because they talked about the Hill Cumorah here. He's about to put the records in the hill. So he's up there. He doesn't have much ore, but he has the other records that are with him. And so he's basically uh, trying to put these things together and uh, so that's that's uh, uh, Moroni. Uh, Visualizing Book of Mormon chronology is a DVD that talks about uh, what was it like to live then. It's the first ever uh, DVD that has these ancient civilizations, uh, the their their remains of them, um, on a high resolution aerial drone video. It's <laughs> just beautiful set so to exciting. music. Mike uh, Mike uh, did such a great job. Mike James has just uh, did a phenomenal job on the uh, on the editing of that. So wonderful on that. And also, if you'd like to know a little bit more about what was happening as far as the maps are concerned here, as we get to the end of Helaman and Moroni, uh, this, the, the, uh, the book Mor- Moroni's America Maps Edition has a whole section here of the, of the maps of the final part of it here, also the maps of Ether, and then also Joseph Smith and what he knew. There's a bunch of great information here about Joseph Smith and what he knew about all these different uh, these, these, these things in, the, in this culture. So I think you're, there's, there's a lot of resources for you here to, to look at. If you want to know about the Hebrew in the Heartland uh, stuff, then there's that DVD. That also, if you already have this book, there's a whole section in here about the Hebrew writings and so forth on uh, the, the different uh, stones and things that have been found. Um, and then last but not least, I have um, brought this little box here. <laughs> so... This is a this is a box that I bought for my uh, my future wife <laughs> while I was on my mission, and uh, and it's it's all inlaid Italian uh, different hardwoods and so forth, but uh, it's all inlaid here. And the thing that I thought was interesting to put in it, hey, there you go. Wow. Um, I while I was on my mission, I actually received this from a member of the church over there in Italy. These are little uh, wooden blocks right here. And uh, and uh, these are um, the uh, the metal plates here on these wooden blocks that are from the one of the first ever uh, editions of the Book of Mormon in Italian. Wow! So this is the uh, the Book of of uh, Enos, basically the Libro the the uh, Enos right there. And then this is at the top of this is um, I can't really read that. <laughs> Well, it says Libro de Mormon, but I, I can't tell what, uh, what, what area that is. But that was one of the little books, basically, that they used to, uh, right there. You can kind of see that. 
there's a couple of other ones there here. And uh, these are some of the actual plates that were used to make the very first edition of the Book of Mormon in Italian. You can see they're not very big. It was a very small edition. And then this is my uh, this is my my personal set of uh, of scriptures, my my triple combination that I used on my mission in Italy. That's really neat. The Li Libro di Mormon, the Dottrina di Alianza, and the Perle di Gran Preso. <laughs> so that's that. That's my uh, my my copy of the my my missionary book there. So. Um, folks, I hope you've enjoyed that. There's there's a lot to talk about here. Um, I know we've been we've named some names and so forth. I'm not saying that these people are or are not the people that were uh, that were you know participating in this uh, polluting of the church basically. But uh, but somehow uh, that this this you know, this was shown to to Moroni by Jesus Christ that the church had been polluted, but it wasn't brother by the brethren. I want to make sure that we make that absolutely clear. The polluting of the church was not being done by the brethren. It was people who were being paid to teach things that are not going to last. Yep. And I don't think that's gospel doctrine teachers because they're not getting paid. Yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, so uh, anyway, so that's basically um, to, to finish that up. We have uh, the Hebrew and, uh, the, and uh, this is the end of the plates of Mormon. We're going to be uh, going into the plates of ether now. I do have to make one explanation here, and that is that this was actually a little bit uh, out of out of order, out of sequence. Uh, as you probably know, this 43 has not been there, although we've moved on to 45, 46, and 47. The reason for that is because what happened, Ridge? Oh, I had <laughs> some exposure to COVID. <laughs> so he got exposure to COVID with his son, and so he wasn't able to come, and, and we weren't able to record. But now it's all done, it's all over, and, uh, and that's all finished up. So uh, we got a chance to, to meet with my dear friend. Um, I think we've known each other since, since in the pre-existence. I believe we did. <laughs> Love and appreciate Rod. He's a true hero in my life uh, to bring to light uh, you know, his research, what, uh, in my opinion, the greatest prophet in the world, Joseph Smith, yeah. uh, taught because uh, a lot of these things, unfortunately, were not taught in seminary and institute and gospel doctrine. And and so Rod's, uh, I had encouraged anybody that hasn't read uh, the Annotated Book of Mormon and the Book of Mormon America's Heartland uh, to read those so that you get to learn what not only the great prophets in the Book of Mormon have taught about, you know, how they were brought to this promised land of the United States of America, but also learn what the prophet Joseph and uh, the prophets on down uh, have taught uh, about the United States of America being the covenant land uh, where the Lord did bring the Jaredites and Nephites and Mulekites. And it, uh, this research, um, I believe, um, bears witness to Elder Holland's great talk called The Greatness of the Evidence, where he says, the, the Holy Ghost, uh, when the Holy Ghost can bear witness to not only the, the heart but the mind of the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon, and I personally believe all of the Heartland research answers questions that all faithful members of the church have as to where you know the Jaredites were brought to, the Nephites, Mulekites, and when people uh, read the Heartland research, Rod, Wayne, Jonathan, and the others, uh, Ryan, all of them have done an inspiring job to bring to light uh, what Joseph Smith and the prophets have taught on these important topics uh, that allows the Holy Ghost to bear witness that 
Um, the Book of Mormon is the most correct book of scripture on earth, that Joseph Smith is the greatest prophet the world has ever had. And I, I believe using this information that the prophet Joseph has taught will help us gather Israel more effectively and get credibility in the Book of Mormon to help millions of people around the world to want to read the Book of Mormon with an open mind and faith in Christ. And um, I will be forever grateful for Rod's great research. And uh, I'm just so grateful um, to know that Heavenly Father and the Savior appeared to the prophet Joseph and restored the fullness of the gospel. And so grateful for the blessing uh, that the fullness of the gospel is in my life. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Fantastic. All right, everybody. So thank you so much for joining us. I hope that was uh, a little heavy this time, but uh, but but uh, I think that there are some things that we need to uh, at least ponder and, and uh, consider. Um, the things that uh, that Christ showed to uh, Moroni there at the end of the Book of Mormon after his father and everybody had been killed off, uh, apparently. And, uh, and brothers and sisters, my hope is, is that we uh, just are aware of the uh, of of what is going on, um, even within the education system, basically of the church. Um, just be aware that there are, our kids need to have additional uh, um, support. They need to have more understanding. We need to have a uh, an ability to to learn how to to trust the scriptures. Yes, and the prophets. our kids need to know that they can trust what the scriptures and the prophets say. Um, no matter what their professors, even if they're not members of the church or if they are members of the church, um, irregardless of what a professor may say, if it doesn't square with what the scriptures and the prophets have taught, repeatedly taught, then brothers and sisters, we need to teach our kids to reject and ignore and to uh, and to come to a better understanding of these things, to be able to understand um, that these things are critical um, in their faith. I hope that uh, that this is what is that we can uh, do that as we uh, as we learn more about these things. I think that the uh, this, the Heartland research is important. I think the Universal Model research is is critically important. Yes, to come to an understanding of the of the fact that the that all things of true science actually testify that there is a God. Yep. It's a beautiful thing, and uh, and so I hope you'll uh, you'll take the chance to to kind of check that out. Okay, this final video here is so powerful. Um, and actually, it's, it, it's uh, based off of President Hinckley talking about the Book of Mormon as being as current as the, as the Daily News. <laughs> and, and, uh, but there's some really amazing prophetic statements here from President Benson and, uh, and Elton Perry and others and President Hinckley. Um, but I want to share this with you, especially as it relates to our teaching of our kids. So here we go. It is a record of ancient America. It is a scripture of the new world, as certainly as the Bible is the scripture of the old. Each speaks of the other. Each carries with it the spirit of inspiration, the power to convince and to convert. Together they become two witnesses, hand in hand, that Jesus is the Christ, the resurrected and living Son of the living God. Its narrative is a chronicle of nations long since gone, but in its descriptions of today's society, it is as current as the daily newspaper and much more definitive, inspired, and inspiring 
concerning the solutions of those problems. Now the scriptures tell us about the war in heaven over free agency, similar to the war we're going through now, where the devil's program was guaranteed security as opposed to the Lord's program of letting each choose for himself, even if he, if he makes the wrong choice. Once you understand these scriptures, you'll understand why the presidents of the church have opposed communism, socialism, and the welfare state. And you'll see why you must oppose them too, if you're in harmony with the word of the Lord. The scriptures also tell about our inspired constitution. If you accept these scriptures, you'll automatically reject the counsel of others who depreciate our constitution. If you use the scriptures as a guide, you know what the Book of Mormon has to say regarding murderous conspiracies in the last day, and how we're to awake to the awful situation today. I find certain elements in the church do not like to see the Book of Mormon and Doctrine Covenants so much. It has too much to say about freedom. I know of no other writing which sets forth with such clarity the tragic consequences to societies who follow courses contrary to the commandments of God. Its pages trace the stories of two distinct civilizations that flourished on this western hemisphere. They began small, their people walking in the fear of the Lord. But with prosperity came growing evils. The people succumbed to the wiles of ambitious and scheming leaders who oppressed them with burdensome taxes, who lulled them with hollow promises, who countenanced and even encouraged loose and lascivious living, who led them into terrible wars that resulted in the death of millions and the final and total extinction of two great civilizations in two eras. Now the question arises, what can we do to preserve our Constitution? And how can we avoid being misled into doing those things that will actually help to destroy it? During last October conference, I spoke on the subject, Be Not Deceived. I said there were three keys one could use to avoid deception. First, the scriptures. Second, the words of the prophets, especially the prophet, the president of the church, and particularly the living one. And third, the Holy Ghost. Now we have not been using the Book of Mormon as we should. Our homes are not as strong unless we are using it to bring our children to Christ. Our families may be corrupted by the worldly trends and teachings unless we know how to use the book to expose and combat the falsehoods in socialism. Our church classes are not as spirit-filled unless we hold it up as a standard. And our nation will continue to degenerate unless we read and heed the words of the God of this land, Jesus Christ, and quit building up and upholding the secret combinations which the Book of Mormon tells us proved the downfall of both previous 
American civilizations. General Moroni, one of the great men of the Book of Mormon, raised the title of liberty, and on it he inscribed these words. In memory of our God, our religion and freedom, and our peace, our wives and our children. Why didn't he write upon it, just live your religion? There is no need to concern yourselves about your freedom, your peace, your wives or your children. The reason he didn't was because all these things were a part of his religion as they are of ours. Listen to what the Book of Mormon had to say of the man who raised the title of liberty. And Moroni was a strong and mighty man. He was a man of perfect understanding, yea, a man that did not delight in bloodshed, a man whose soul did joy in the liberty and the freedom of his country and his brethren from bondage and slavery. Yea, and he was a man who was firm in the faith of Christ, and he had sworn with an oath to defend his people, his rights, and his country, and his religion, even to the loss of his blood." Unquote. And then Moroni is paid this high tribute. Yea, verily, verily, I say unto you, if all men had been and were and ever would be like unto Moroni, behold, the very powers of hell would have been shaken forever. Yea, the devil would never have power over the hearts of the children of men." Unquote. Now part of the reason why we do not have sufficient priesthood bearers to save the Constitution, let alone to shake the powers of hell, is, I fear, because unlike Moroni, our souls do not joy in keeping our country free, and we are not firm in the faith of Christ, nor have we sworn with an oath to defend our rights. No other written testament so clearly illustrates the fact that when men and nations walk in the fear of God and in obedience to his commandments, they prosper and grow. But when they disregard him and his word, there comes a decay that unless otherwise arrested by righteousness, leads to impotence and death. The Book of Mormon is an affirmation of the Old Testament proverb, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The Book of Mormon has declared over and over again, the blessings of heaven are contingent upon the righteousness of its people. In fact, this teaching has been attested to in almost every age. Remember in 1831 when the famous French historian said, I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there, in her fertile fields and boundless prairies, and it was not there, in her rich mines and her vast world of commerce, and it was not there. Not until I went to the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand her genius and power. America is great because she is good. If America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great.
To me, this is not just another nation. It is not just one of the family of nations. This is a nation with a great mission to perform for the benefit of liberty-loving people everywhere. It is my firm conviction that the constitution of this land was established by men whom the God of heaven raised up unto that very purpose. This is part of my religious faith. Looking forward to 2021, you can buy your annotated Book of Mormons for Christmas gifts and save 21% at bookofmormonevidence.org.